Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm Nick. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of April, and we are once again doing a special theatrical edition of Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, This week, we will be reviewing uh, HBO Max's new Mortal Kombat 2021, directed by one Simon McCoy. Uh, This is, of course, adapted from the video game property, the long-lived franchise. I think it's almost 30 years old by this point. Uh, And if you didn't notice on the opening of the episode, uh, we have a very special guest who was, in fact, here for our Mortal Kombat Annihilation episode. That would be Kyle's brother, Nick. Uh, How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. Mortal Kombat, again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're the you're the MK expert among us, maybe. I don't know, but uh, I always enjoy talking Mortal Kombat with you. Uh, you're one of the few people I know of, uh, at least in my social circle, who actually has some experience playing uh, at least MKX and MK11. So in my book, I guess that makes you an expert. I'll take um, it. So be- <laughs> before we get into the movie proper... Um, we did go over this before um, when we did our MK Annihilation episode, that is, and it, and in fact, our first uh, Mortal Kombat episode, that would be the Paul W.S. Anderson Mortal Kombat from 1995, uh, to date, the longest episode of Catching Up on Cinema at about three hours and four minutes, I believe. Yeah. Um, so what we did before when we did those uh, previous Mortal Kombat films was just a uh, share a little something about our personal backgrounds with the game franchise. So we can probably keep this real quick as, you know, listeners who've been following the show for a while have certainly heard this before. But uh, Nick and Kyle, uh, what's your familiarity? What's your background with uh, Mortal Kombat? Well, we watched the crap out of that Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, help me out, Kyle, with the year. What was it? Uh, it was a 1994. What year did that five, come? I believe. Was it five? Yes, nineteen ninety-five. Wow. Uh, yeah, we we watched it, and then that and Power Rangers just back to back, and just pretend fighting. Uh, Kyle, I remember Luke Hang does the what is it? He does like the back where he's on his back, and he does the I don't know what you call it, but he kicks himself up. I mean, you practice that thing over and over and over. It all just came screaming back to me how much <laughs> I did that. I did that so much. I thought it was the coolest shit. And I realized just now, you talking about it, why I hated this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> what, there were no kip-ups in the movie? No, the Liu Kang was a bitch. He was kind of awful. Oh, he was kind of well, awful. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I will, I will counter that and say I don't think he was awful. We can't confirm that because he was given so very little to do. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but True. his his representation in the film, yes, straight up awful. Um, so, uh, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Uh, this is not going to be a, a glowing review of <laughs> Mortal Kombat 2021. No. Um, but we'll soon get to that. By the way, uh, your uh, your obsession with the kip up. Um, I was I've to date never been able to do a kip up. That's what that move is called. Um, and, but I'll never forget when I was a kid and uh, Hollywood Rock, that would be Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the early 2000s, around the time he was making like The Scorpion King. Uh, when he went to Hollywood and came back to wrestling, he trimmed down a lot, and then suddenly he was able to do a kip-up, so he did it all the time just to kind of show off. <laughs> but I'll never forget when I first saw him do that, because I had the exact same reaction. For whatever reason, it didn't register when I saw Mortal Kombat, but... 
That that's a neat memory. Did a uh, did you guys have any uh obsession or interest in Walker Texas Ranger around the same time? <laughs> yes, uh I did for sure. Uh actually Mortal Kombat and Power Rangers took over from Walker Texas Ranger cuz we used to watch it with our grandparents. That was mm-hmm. I mean we usually watch it with our grandpa. So Mortal Kombat took over, but I do remember I have a, a very I have a memory of my mom pouring me um was sparkling cider and for some reason yeah. she's like yeah now you're now you're like walker sitting at the bar and you're like it you're, yeah i i just remember that yeah so yeah i was into walker for a bit and then i watched an i watched a bit of an episode one day when i was like eight or nine i'm like oh this is not good because <laughs> <laughs> the eyes of the texas ranger are upon you he was he was in the episode he was blinded like he was blind and he was sensing guys walking on the front lawn. He's just like, somebody's here. I'm like, how the fuck could you even know that? But everything you do, everything you do, he's going to see, though. But how he couldn't can he see? see? But he couldn't see. <laughs> so even as a kid, I'm like, I don't know about this, guys. <laughs> I think there might be some, uh, some holes in this. Yeah, truly, whenever you're in Texas, look behind you, <laughs> because that's where the range is going to be. I don't know how I know that theme song with ev- without ever having seen an episode of Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger. I've seen highlights probably through like Conan O'Brien or something, but the only reason I asked that is because there, w- there was a little bit of an obsession in the mid-90s, in America anyway, with roundhouse kicks. And the first oh, yeah. person that comes to mind, other than maybe Van Damme, who has a more fanciful variant of a leaping, spinning back kick, Chuck Norris, of course. And certainly in 1995, you know, Power Rangers, Mortal Kombat, Walker, kicking was, kicking was a big deal in the 90s, to the point that parent groups and stuff were kind of freaking out about <laughs> violence and video games and media, uh, which is part of why Mortal Kombat took off to become so big, <laughs> it was because... Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. famously, you know, one of the very first games that kind of triggered that as a, uh, a source for concern in, in American politics, in fact. Like, we had a series of politicians trying to get that smut out of our video games, <laughs> and that's where we got the rating system from. But, um, yeah, for me personally, uh, Mortal Kombat was always uh, playing second fiddle to Street Fighter. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, people who only know me through the podcast... Um, based on listening to our show, they seem to think that I'm like a Mortal Kombat fanatic because how, like, how could you not be if you talked about the fucking movie for three hours and four minutes? <laughs> it's like actually, I kind of prefer Street Fighter. <laughs> it's like the, everybody seems to be shocked when I bring that up, but that's that's the honest to god truth. Um, my brother and I, we both really like Street Fighter. We played all the Capcom fighting games coming up. Uh, although Street Fighter Five is kind of straight up garbage, not gonna lie. Uh, I like some of the character designs. The music's great. Some of the animations are cool, but the the way that thing handles, mm, mm, I, I heard it's I, it's rigid to an extreme. I heard that had a lot of problems. That's the newest one, isn't it? Yeah, it it does have a lot of problems. Some of those problems have been ironed out as they've you know added it in the true Capcom tradition. Uh, they've added on like expansions to it and DLC and stuff. Uh, there's there's no such thing as a vanilla fighting game in Capcom. Everything has to have a Super Turbo Hyper Edition variant, um, <laughs> and Street Fighter Five is is certainly one of those at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it has a whole host of problems. But for Mortal Kombat. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember my brother bought the first one on Super Nintendo, which was infamous for being the representation of the game that uh, didn't have any blood. 
the Genesis version was the one that had blood, but you still had to enter a fucking code just to get it. Um, and I seem to remember him like returning it kind of quickly. Like he like he took it back to the store and he said, you know, I, I had my fun with it. Like I, I beat the shit out of it, and I'm done. <laughs> Street Fighter Two still exists in the home, so clearly he favored that one. But yeah, for me, I've I've never been obsessed with the franchise, but um, kind of like my relationship to superhero comic books. Uh, somehow over the years i have just absorbed gobs and gobs of information about these games just through osmosis just through like being around people who are into this stuff so like in terms of my actual experience playing the games i played the first three a little bit like on and off i only owned the first one for five minutes because my brother took it out of home (laughs) um and then i just never touched the fucking thing again until around like mkx and mk11 um but that does not change the fact that I think everyone in this room has very positive things to say about the very first Mortal Kombat live-action film. Regardless of my connection to the games, I have a lot of appreciation for that film, and most of it comes down to just raw nostalgia. Like, that that movie is so much of its time, and I know, I remember who I was at that time, that it, it you know, brings back the warm and fuzzy feelings every time I put it on, because I was like, I watch it, and I'm like, this is fucking bad. But it's, like, just that right kind of bad. But then it does have some highlights to it. Like, in terms of production design, I think some of it kind of blows this movie totally out of the water. Um, And in terms of, like, efficiency of storytelling, certainly blows this film out of the water. The fighting is arguably on the same level in some manners. Really? I think that the fighting (laughs) is way better in the first movie. I think the fighting in this movie sucks my ass. (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> well, let's get into it because Kyle is just a, a bottle. He's a bottle full of rage juice at this okay. point. <laughs> I, I, b- before we move forward, I do have a video game joke for you, Trevor. Now that you've seen uh, the uh, first season of True Detective, Nick, have you seen the first season of True Detective? Who is in it? My, uh, uh, my Michael McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> uh, Woody. and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen it. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I recently invested in a Sega Genesis because I did want to. I want to try to find the Mortal Kombat. I want to play the the Mortal Kombat Sega Genesis. So I picked up a few games. They didn't have the games I wanted, but I picked up a hockey game, which is fun, and I picked up uh, the Batman Forever game for the Sega Genesis. And when I told Trevor before I could even say how bad this game sucks, he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> you paid money for that." And I was look I was thinking of the other day of like that scene at the end when they have that tape. It should be that cartridge for that game. It's like you shouldn't have that and nobody should have this. <laughs> it's so bad. It is the one of the worst things I've ever played in my life. Yeah, it is it is god awful. Um as far as I recall, it's one of the very few Super Nintendo games that like uses the select button for a very essential function of gameplay no i'm I'm sorry the select button is used for like very very specific things if ever and no it should not control the fucking grappling hook attached to your belt i'm sorry that's that's not how you build a batman game Nobody should um that. and funny enough uh the the combat model from that game uh was totally ripped off from mortal kombat like like the the like the poses and the animations for the characters, like the fighting system in that game is totally meant to cash in on the success of Mortal Kombat. Um, 
But yeah, let's get into Simon McCoy's uh, take on Mortal Kombat from 2021. As far as I know, uh, this fella is a first-time director, mm-hmm. at least in f- a feature film director. He has experience doing commercials, from what I understand. And I think he has a connection to James Wan in some capacity. I don't, I don't know what that capacity is. Um, but point being, you know, first time at bat as a feature film director, so maybe, maybe take it easy on him. But I was, I was nervous when I looked at his filmography because uh, there is none. It's, it's pretty much this. Uh, and I was actually, for some weird reason, while I was watching this, I was getting angry at you. For making me watch it but i'm like he's not making me watch this this isn't one of the martial arts movies he's having me watch this is a movie we both decided we wanted to watch but I, like because you've had me watch so many of those movies or several of those movies i was starting to critique the guy from that point of view of like oh this guy's never directed a martial arts film i'm like well that's probably going to translate to the fight choreography in the film which is garbage uh we it's not good fight choreography yeah, I, I wasn't sure when we were going to get into this, but sure, Kyle. Yeah, you, you threw down the gauntlet. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking dance. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, you you have rubbed off on me in watching these movies. Well, and likewise, like you've subjected me to a lot of films over the years that it forced me to kind of put on a, a different kind of thinking hat, and it. I think that's how you learn a little something about films is you. Mm. you subject yourself to something different every once in a while and i'm glad i'm glad to hear that you're paying attention to fighting in a different way now when it comes to films anyway but yeah you're you're absolutely right uh the fighting in this film is not very good um and a lot of that from from my perspective comes down to editing um it's very poorly edited it's very it's very choppy the framing is questionable like there's a lot of instances of detached limbs kind of just like thwacking into each other and there's even certain instances where like half of a figure is seen in the frame doing something to the extent that I'm, I'm actually struggling to, to find the visual information that the film's trying to transmit to me. And it's discombobulating in such a way where it's like, I, I know that somebody's striking someone, but I don't know the nature of the strike nor the intent. I don't even know if it actually landed or if it was significant. And it, it's very puzzling. Like it's it's stitched together in such a haphazard way that it it feels like maybe there was poor connection between the post production and the actual production crew or something. But um, yeah, I, I was I was very disappointed because the name of your movie is Mortal Kombat, and for me going into this movie, I I kind of went all over the place uh, in terms of my uh, my anticipation for this film because initially I was cautiously optimistic. But then I think about like two weeks before we got to the thing, like before it came out, I I just had this really dark feeling inside me <laughs> bubble up, and I was like, oh no, I think it, I think this is going to be really bad. And part of that came from the marketing, where I was looking at the marketing. And I I yeah. told you this, Kyle, where I was looking at the marketing and I was seeing a lot of teasing of fatalities in yeah. such a way that I was actually getting irritated because. I have familiarity with the games. I know what what is going to be in the movie just by seeing like, just by seeing what leads up to those fatalities. It's like, oh, if if Jax with his metal arms is rearing back, I know it comes right after that. If I see Liu Kang summon a dragon, doesn't matter who it's against, I know what's coming after that. So, it's kind of like robbing me of you know the potential for being surprised a little bit. Um, but more than that, in the marketing, I didn't see. I saw barely any fighting. Like like. If you're trying to market a martial arts movie, one thing you want to do is show the show your goods, like show your highlights, like show 
a really complex string of movements or something that looks really awesome and everybody involved in in executing that on the screen is really proud of that moment or something there's so little of that in, the, in, in any of the trailers or teasers it's like okay scorpion and sub-zero do some stuff that it kind of apes some of the choreography from, from some of the more recent games but does it kind of badly and it's like oh no what i mean i could just play the game if i wanted to see that same sequence and have it look better <laughs> but yeah um everything about the marketing was vexing it was it was troubling because the whole thing like part of why i was kind of hyped for this movie was that it's a 50 million dollar martial arts movie from an american studio that's not something you get every day i mean i i say that with with disney putting out a trailer for shang chi so 100 million dollar martial arts <laughs> movie due out probably sometime next year so you know make it that what you will but point is it's a decently budgeted american film where the source of the entertainment and spectacle as advertised is supposed to come from martial arts which is something i'm very passionate about in film and they utterly failed to deliver that <laughs> it's like you had one fucking job yeah. <laughs> like well actually no you had two jobs appease the fan base and deliver the goods in terms of fighting and they made they certainly made attempts to appease the yeah. fan base there is a lot of fan service in this however they also kind of like shoot themselves in the foot with that because they kind of fumble pretty badly with some of the fan service in this honestly some characters get done real dirty in this oh yeah oh yeah 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 we'll we'll get to that um mm. like i said nick nick and kyle have are familiar with mkx and 11 at, at the very least so they'll they know what i'm talking about but um, let's get to the movie proper. So we're going to go front to back on this. Uh, so the first seven minutes of this film were actually published online for everyone to watch, regardless of whether you have an HBO Max uh, subscription or not. Uh, and how, di how did you all feel about this? Because uh, it seems like across the board, uh, like critics and just casual observers seem to think of this as one of the highlights in the movie. The scene itself, I like. I I loved it. Um, but what I didn't like was that they published it. Like, they put it out there for everybody to see. Because, like you, I was, I was cautiously optimistic about the movie. Where I was like, okay, uh, i got to set my expectations at a certain level. Because I know it's probably not going to hit every box. Uh, but when they put that online, I'm like, no. Like, that just tells <laughs> me that you're, you're scared. And you have to put that out there to get people to watch it. So it left a very... I didn't even watch it online. I, I tried to stay as far away from everything as I could. But I knew when I saw that, like on my YouTube feed, I was like, okay, I know this is this is going to be worse than I think it is. Yeah, uh, so the opening scene, I kept here, like, I, I think I was, like, poloing you back and forth. I'm like, uh... You're like, should I go see this in the theater? I'm like, do not go see this in the theater. <laughs> and I'm like, this only really scene is. To. It was. I'm like, if you really want to go to the theater and watch a movie, just pick a different movie. You're not gonna want to sit through this. But uh, this actor Hiroyuki Sonata, did I say that correct enough, Trevor? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was excited because I'm like, I've actually seen several movies with him in it, and I'm excited that he's in it, and he bookends the movie. Uh, arguably, he's. How do you have Scorpion in the movie, and you don't have Scorpion in the movie, and you actually yeah. have him played by somebody who I want to see play that character, and then you just don't even... He's not even there. Yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of, of the background behind this decision making. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, because not too long ago, and I, th I think you're at least aware of its existence, Kyle, um, Warner Brothers put out a animated film, a Mortal Kombat film. Yeah. I think it's just called Scorpion's Revenge, and it basically uses Scorpion as its protagonist, and I'm pretty sure it includes these events in the film, uh, but uh, <laughs> unlike this film, uh, goes over the events of the first Mortal Kombat tournament, um, but weaves Scorpion's story through that. Now, I haven't heard excellent reviews for that animated film, um, but in terms of storytelling and fan service, that actually seems like a decent platform to check all those boxes. Like, Scorpion's a fan favorite character. He's arguably the mascot of the entire franchise. He's a personal favorite of Ed Boon, the, the, one of the creators of the entire franchise. Uh, it stands to reason that he, he's kind of like the Wolverine of Mortal Kombat, where it's like, yeah. regardless yeah. of what X-Men story we're telling, I'm looking at you, X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> we're going to put Hugh Jackman in the movie because yeah. he's the one that puts the asses in the seats. And same goes for Scorpion. No wonder he's in the majority of the marketing um, because Sub-Zero and Scorpion are the two most marketable characters, arguably. Um, but yeah, I, 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 was, I wasn't shocked, honestly, um, but it's, a, it's kind of a strange way to tell a story, to have arguably the most important like the most famous character anyway just bookend the thing and have his screen time be severely limited yeah i'm here for two i'm here for two main reasons one i'm here to follow Liu kang to the movie uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm here to follow Liu kang which you don't let me do uh and i want to see what you do with scorpion because arguably he's even in the first movie he's one of the cooler characters uh he's mm -hmm. i mean very memorable he's pretty i mean he was kind of creepy as a kid too um but yeah, this opening scene, it's not a good fight sequence. I, okay, the one positive thing I will say, I do like what they did with Sub-Zero. I like his entrances into scenes. I think that was fun. I did like what they did. And I think that this starts off. Like, it does have a... It's, it is a good opening, but it, the fight part of it is pretty stupid. Um, but I do like he, how he kills people, too. I'll give him that. Yeah, um, we'll we'll go beat for beat on this because I do have a lot to say here. But um, I, I'll just say this straight up front: uh, Scorpion and Sub Zero are the best parts of the film, if you mm -hmm. ask me. Uh, Sub Zero, Damn. in particular, um, he Joe Taslim uh, portrays Sub Zero. Uh, that would be Joe Taslim, who's most famous for being in the first Raid film, uh, Fast and Furious Six. Um, he's also on that uh, Cinemax slash HBO show Warrior, which uh, I've been watching lately. It's it's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's it is interesting. It's it's keeping me interested, but uh, it's definitely a Cinemax production at least for that first season. So it looks like the second season they got a little bit more money and they dialed down the TNA factor. Big old so titties, we'll, yeah. <laughs> again, you see that Cinemax logo yeah. and a fucking engine revving noise when the, when you see the logo, uh, you know what you're getting. Uh, there's going to be penis in this show. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no penis, but there's there's like that that uh what's the muscle the, the yeah 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 it, try wa you know, try watching that spartacus show like the joke is that game of thrones shows a lot of dick i'm like game of thrones isn't showing half the dick that spartacus was showing there's dudes doing monologues with cock in frame <laughs> seriously there's a whole bathhouse scene this is important conversation with a dick out in frame the whole time so you mean there's if you if you watch through the whole credits there's a fluffer in there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it was humid in there. They didn't need a fluffer. <laughs> there was shrinkage. I was at a pool. <laughs> but yeah, you wanted to go beat for beat? Yeah, we're going to go beat for beat on this. Um, so our opening sequence uh, takes place in 1617 on, uh, was it? Uh, Japanese Hasashi? soil? No, Hanzo Hasashi. Uh, so this would be Scorpion before Scorpion. Uh, as, as Kyle had said, uh, portrayed by Hiroyuki Sonata, uh, who is a living legend in Japanese cinema and one of the few uh, prominent Japanese actors who semi-regularly works internationally. Um, could just be because he's, you know, a great fucking actor, but also he has a very good handle on the English language. Uh, he speaks the Queen's English quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he's, he's also, you know, possessed of a really legit martial arts background. Uh, if you've seen him in the 80s, he was a fucking whirlwind. Like, he was, he was fucking cool to watch in the 80s. <laughs> like, he could fucking move. <laughs> and he still fucking can. Like, like um, in the, the Wolverine in particular, he has a really great sequence. Very brief, but he has a really good uh, sword fight with uh, Hugh Jackman in there that has quite a bit of intensity. Some, some pretty cool beats in the choreography there. He gets to shine um, in a very complex role in that film. Uh, that, that film is is fucking terrible in its final act, but up until then it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, like I said, Joe Taslin uh, plays Sub Zero, and during the initial announcements of like the casting for this film, I was like, okay, you got me sold. Um, he's he's proven to be a very supremely talented martial artist, uh, working in a, in a wide variety of styles uh, with a vi- wide variety of dance partners. That's a big thing is that he's worked with amateurs, a.k.a. Tyrese. <laughs> he's worked oh, opposite Tyrese, and he's worked opposite, you know, the, the Salat uh, experts from the Raid films and stuff. So he, he, can make, he can make people who aren't good look good. He's got which presence. Is important. He has incredible presence. He is. And I, I was concerned that he wasn't going to. Looking at, like, the, the, uh, the headshots of everybody in the film, I'm like, uh, I don't know any of these people. So I was, like, a little, little nervous about who was going to be in the film. But, yeah, he's got presence. Yeah, he really does have legit screen presence, and in fact, I, I seem to remember him mentioning that he actually tried to become an actor before, like, he became a martial arts actor. Like, he's always had a martial arts background, primarily in judo, which is, you know, grappling and throwing for the most part. Um, and it, sh- it kind of shows in the way he conducts his fight scenes. He's better when he's grounded. He's not an aerialist. Like, he's not going to be doing leaping, spinning, Van Damme-esque kicks. He's, he's going to have both feet planted, and he's going to be thrown hands and stuff um but funny enough there's there's a design choice with sub-zero that seems to be present in most of the games and that's bushy eyebrows yeah and yeah. joe taslim if you just look up any casual photo of him it's like yeah like it, it's the kind of thing where you just like cover his mouth in a photo and you're like yeah i yeah. see sub-zero there the, yeah the, the actor in the first movie definitely has prominent eyebrows uh the actor in the second movie for crying out loud i forgot that that gentleman's name um, uh robin shows buddy who was also in uh beverly hills ninja yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Five foot, the five foot guy yeah uh, yeah I, I call him asian nicholas cage because when when he's sub-zero in mortal Kombat annihilation he takes the mask off like in the mid '90s, when Nick Cage had like cheekbones, <laughs> there, there, and you know, it, it, there's some angles there that look kind of similar. I'm, I, I don't think I'm crazy thinking that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, our our initial scene, oddly enough, takes place in 1617, 
and it's on uh, Hanzo Hasashi's uh, compound in Japan. Uh, so what we know here is that he is a ninja. Uh, he seems to be living a, the good life, like mm -hmm. a quiet life with his mm -hmm. wife and son and apparently daughter who's a baby. Um, but I bring up the 1617 thing because uh, I don't remember this from the games. Um, maybe, I don't know, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, th there's multiple timelines in the Mortal Kombat game, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend I know more than I do, but in the initial incarnations of the characters, I seem to remember th this particular rivalry occurring in modern times. Like, yeah. like I don't remember there being like a, a flashback to Sub-Zero killing Scorpion hundreds of years ago. I seem to remember it just being a contemporary issue or something. I think that the game, the way the games are set up, at least in Mortal Kombat X and Eleven, is that they make it seem like, yeah, this has always happened. Sub-Zero killed Hanzo, Asashi, or Scorpion, whatever his name is, this, you know, clan. Um, but then I re always remember hearing, well, the first Sub-Zero was killed and became the oh gosh noob cybot so i i really don't know how it works all i've heard that is that in my exposure to mortal kombat games is that sub-zero killed scorpion's clan and then scorpion redeemed himself by not getting revenge it, it's all it's all over the place it really is <laughs> yeah no you you got the you got the story right at least from my understanding of it uh, only difference is I seem to remember it happening not in the past, but just like the other day, kind of. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Although it does introduce a plot element that um, reeks of maybe some missing scenes or something, and that would be the timeline. But we'll we'll get to that. So um, Hansel, uh, he goes off to fetch some water for his wife, and uh, while they're alone, uh, his retainers are sil silently killed off screen. And then we're introduced to Joe Taslim's uh, Sub-Zero before he's Sub-Zero. Oh, so this would just be Bihan is the, is the character's name, the first Sub-Zero. And he corners them, and they they do a little trick here where he's speaking Chinese, presumably Mandarin. At least that's what, yeah. I, what my ears told me. Um, and they subtitle him, and they make note of what language he's speaking while they're speaking Japanese to him, which is an oddly sophisticated move uh, for a really dumb movie. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and even from an acting standpoint, it's like, you know, that's asking quite a bit of Joe Taslim. He's not a Chinese speaker. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he corners them and he, the presentation of his, his ice powers here, because he, he kind of like displays them to them. I was a little puzzled by this and I don't know if it's a performance issue or a directing issue or, or an editing issue for that matter. Um, but it almost looks like he's causing himself pain or he's doing it inadvertently, like like it's yeah. an impulse or something. Um, it's something to do with his body language and his, his face. Like It looks like he's forming ice crystals in his hand, and he's it's almost accidental to some degree. You know what it reminded me of? The scene in like the, the newer uh, X-Men movie where it shows Hugh Jackman putting out his claws, and I think Rogue asks him, does it hurt? And he says, every time. That's what it seemed like they were trying to go for, where it like almost hurts him to even use his ice powers. And I was like, well, I yeah, don't. yeah, no, it it sounds like we're on the same page there because and and it doesn't help too that he has blood on his hands, and it was difficult for me to tell if that was supposed to be his blood or if it was from him recently stabbing some people. But 
not important, just a weird little detail, but um, he corners them in their own home and they are killed off screen. And Hanzo, uh, he runs up to the house uh, only to find them frozen uh, out in the front yard, essentially. And all of his retainers are just like in pieces around, scattered around the yard. Um, but yeah, they're in like a frozen heap here. And because he is a, a damn actor, he gives a fucking performance and asks me to feel in the opening minutes of Mortal Kombat. Wasn't expecting that, but goddammit, it kind of worked. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to some fucking fighting. Yeah, they're like, we got, we got two legitimate actors. Uh, they're barely going to be in the movie. And that's what they did was they tricked you with this opening scene. So when people were saying, yeah, this opening scene was pretty good, I'm like, I think mm-hmm. you're talking about the acting. Yeah, honestly, the, the acting was for both of these people like somewhat more impressive than the fighting and i mean when what i mean by that is uh when when you're doing martial arts on film when you're doing an action scene there is an acting component that goes with it like like you can just be a person who strictly does performs the movements or you can be a true performer and actually put emotionality and intent behind those movements and both of these guys can do that. And Joe Taslim in particular, when he's in his full Sub-Zero gear, he does some eye stuff. He does some he does some movements that evoke emotion to some degree. He he has like a creepy factor to him that it really works from time to time. Only problem is those time those times are few and far between and they're mostly relegated to the beginning and the end of the film. Um but yeah, like when it comes to the opening sequence that was kind of the stuff that was jumping out to me more than any of the fighting because i hate to say it like this was actually something that i i mentioned i think every time we talked about this movie before it came out was that my my fear about this film was that uh martial arts on film has come a long fucking way in the past decade or so um and you know films like the raid and the night comes for us and things of that nature are widely available on netflix any any dumb kid who has any passing interest in martial arts on film has access to tons of incredible shit like they don't even have to dig for it not like in my day when you had to go on fucking ebay and send money orders to random bootleggers across like overseas and stuff now you can just hop on netflix and find the coolest shit ever um so what i mean by that is that the average viewer that will be attracted to this sort of thing has ready access to things that are of an extraordinarily high caliber. So the bar was way high for this movie in terms of delivering like true thrills and, and true wonder uh, in the form of like just straight up combat on film. Well, you have two different ways that you can fan service. One, I when I saw that the director wasn't going to, didn't have a martial arts background as far as directing is concerned, I'm like, it, the framing is not going to be good in this movie. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be great. I'm like, well, if you're not going to go with the martial arts aspect and actually get good choreography, then I need to see some brutal-ass MK10 fucking fatalities, which they barely do. And <laughs> they barely do. I'm like, well, who are you going to try to please with this? Like, you, you didn't do the good martial arts, and you barely gave us the fucking gore that we were wanting so what what <laughs> well I'll, I'll counter that a little bit i'm i'm in total agreement with you kyle but um i will counter that with saying that perhaps their aim in producing this film the way they did like like carrying out this way this film the way they did 
uh, was that fatalities were like the one key component that was missing from every other live action film in the franchise. Like they had, <laughs> they had animalities and MK annihilation, uh, but we we didn't really get any of the true fatalities um, as seen in any of the games. Um, and if you notice in the marketing for the movie, they really really made they pushed that to the fore in terms of what they were teasing. It was like you'll actually see fucking fatalities in that movie. So just the fact that they delivered that. Maybe maybe you could call that a little bit of success on their part because I'm sure there are fans of the franchise who that was their chief complaint about the other movies was it had nothing to do with storytelling it had nothing to do with emotionality it had nothing to do with good fighting it was just like there's no blood I didn't like it it sucked <laughs> I don't know because I, like I'm even like I love the games but honestly I, I know I'm probably gonna catch some flack for this but I, the fatalities I don't really care that much. Like, the brutalities, I kind of like, because it's like, they're a little bit trickier to pull off, and they're like, ooh. But the fatalities, I'm just like, yeah. And, and that's just not enough to get me into a, to, to watch a Mortal Kombat movie. I would rather, much rather watch the, the 90s one over and over than watch a new one that has all the fatalities. So, I, I don't know. I think that's an interesting choice. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to include them, go, like just go do nuts it. with it like do go it ham. yeah <laughs> yeah just go all in on that and it's not like they were trying to keep it safe like we were trying to go for a younger audience i'm like kano's making racist jokes he gets a knife in the leg <laughs> and we get some fatalities so i'm like are we brutalities fatalities whatever you people getting hurt <laughs> and it being gruesome <laughs> whatever you call it well, like you did a little bit of it i'm like why not just go all go all in on that if you're not gonna have good fight choreography I'm picturing some uh, producer with notes on the production of a Mortal Kombat game being like, I don't know, finish him. That's a little aggressive. Can we, like, <laughs> dial that back and have it be like, hurt him. Dude, I, really good. <laughs> I, I, I was kind of checked out when it ha- when the first one happened, when Kung, when Kung Lao does it. I, I had to rewind. I'm like, wait a minute. What the fuck just happened? And I got excited. I'm like, okay, maybe the second half of this movie is going to be fun. Not really. I'll, I'll correct you on that, Kyle. That's the last, like, 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, basically nothing happens in this movie until the last... It's like the first 10 minutes and the last 30. Yeah. Uh, the middle is just kind of like... Um, but yeah, uh, basically, uh, we have the setup for the Scorpion and Sub-Zero rivalry. Although, like I said, this, this whole prologue just kind of reeks of some sort of rejiggering in the editing room. Like, they shot the film... And then somebody in in the editing room decided, oh, this movie can't be two hours long. Like, the people who are going to watch this movie, it can't be two hours long. <laughs> like, I don't think you know what we're dealing with here. But um, because this, this just felt so strange to me. Uh, because we have a situation where we don't know why Joe Taslim's here. We know that he purposely is showing up to kill Hanzo and his family. So apparently there's some beef that is not ever explained... Um, but we, it's, it's easy to understand these two characters have beef and somehow the family is collateral damage. That's fine. Um, but the family's dead and we get a kind of like a, a decent action scene. It's not show stopping stuff, but it's basically Sanada, um, grabbing hold of the, like the, the very famous, uh, scorpion, uh, some people call it a harpoon. Some people call it a spear. Basically it, it's a, it's a pointed edge on a rope. And uh, he wrecks some Lin Kuei shit. Uh, so we have two clans here. We have the Shirai Ryu. No, it's a Shirai Ryu. 
So my, my Japanese tongue wants to say Ryu, but this is a phony Japanese thing, and they say Ryu, so I, I won't fight anyone. This is Shirai Ryu. And that is so fucking hard for me to say. <laughs> Actually, I have to pause <laughs> to do it. But it's the Lin Kuei. Uh, that's Sub-Zero's clan. The Chinese Ninja Warriors, which I know that doesn't make sense, but bear with me. <laughs> and uh, the- This is America, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, we have some sort of clan war happening here. The actual details of it are never explained in the film. Not terribly important, but it's it's kind of strange that we don't ever even play lip service to it but um sanada aka hanzo he wrecks some shit with the spear weapon um there's some decent kills here although some there's some there's a lot of wasted movement it's it's kind of strange where a, a dude gets slashed across the throat and he keeps coming it's like you you, you just no sold a throat slash are you fucking serious it's <laughs> <laughs> like i mean the big show can do that to a knife edge chop but not a fucking sword jesus <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go over to buy a tree real quick if i get my throat slashed I'm, I'm, just give me a minute <laughs> just give me a minute yeah you need you going. need some gatorade and orange slices after a, after a throat slice <laughs> at the very least no, man. like can I at least cauterize it real quick or something jeez yeah <laughs> it's like you're the penguin from Batman Returns. It's like, oh shit, a, a cute one. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a bit where a dude gets his throat slashed and he keeps coming. And there's a bit where he throws the spear through the center of a dude's face. But the dude like seems like he's not dead until he yanks on the cord and drives his head into the ground. It's like, dude, I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure he's, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a lot of wasted movement where it's like, yeah, it kind of looks cool. Maybe some of these stunt players worked on Batman versus Superman or something because some of the gags, like in particular that one where the dude drives his head into the ground, I was like, yeah, I've seen that one before. I'm sure that sucks. <laughs> but long story short, he kills a bunch of like nameless Lin Kuei goons. Putties. Uh, who are utterly, yeah, putties. putties. They even have masks. Yeah, they don't putties. go <laughs> or anything like that, but they serve the same purpose just to show that he is a badass. Yeah. Fist um, fodder. Yeah. And then he finds Bihan, a.k.a. Joe Taslim, uh, deeper into the woods. And they have a little scrap here. And I say little because it's very brief. Mm-hmm. Um, and right here, this sequence was the one that kind of told me, oh, no, I think this is going to be bad. Like, yeah. this this was the this was the scene where I, I started to get some bad feelings. Because everything up until here, like I said, it wasn't show-stopping. It was bloody, which was great. That's what I want from a Mortal Kombat movie from 2021. Um, but it wasn't like knocking my socks off. That's fine. But the way this scene is shot and edited is baffling. Um, the We keep doing these rapid fire cuts back and forth between extreme close-ups of them from like the waist up, uh, exchanging hand blows. And then we cut to this super wide, which I'm guessing like the DP and the director were thinking like, oh yeah, that's the Hong Kong style. That's how they do it. They shoot from the feet up and stuff. That's how you frame things. It's like, no, you don't, you don't go like 30 feet away and film that. <laughs> like, like, like it feels like we're, we're like kind of like pulling back and jumping in. It's, it's very discombobulating and it doesn't help that the far away shots, I'm sorry, but it's really obvious that that's Joe Taslim's stand in. And it's like, why? Why are you showing at a distance? Like, why are you showing the very talented martial arts guy not doing the martial arts? <laughs> and then all of these hand strikes, like I said, this is where I started to notice that a lot of the impacts were kind of occluded by poor framing. 
where it's like I'm seeing half of an arm or I'm seeing like part of a shoulder. I'm not getting the whole picture. There's a lack of clarity here. But long story short, uh, Scorpion gets stabbed several times. He gets thrown into a fucking tree at one point. I'm not sure how Sub-Zero is that fucking strong, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, And he gets a very dramatic death where he um, crawls back to his house. And we discover that the baby, uh, his daughter, uh, was not discovered by the Lin Kuei. And Raiden makes an appearance after he dies. But when when, when uh, Hanzo dies, uh, he kind of is enveloped in flames. Um, so that's a signal that, oh, he's going to become Scorpion. So this is for the people in the cheap seats who don't know already what what's happening. It's like, oh, I think he's going to become Scorpion. <laughs> 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 Idiot. <laughs> Yeah, we we need nothing telegraph. Like we got it. We know who he is. You don't have to tell us. We know. No, you know, yeah. I, I was talking to a coworker, and he he was like, he's like this movie. He says if you don't know anything about Mortal Kombat, you have no idea what's happening in this movie. And I was playing it back in my mind, and I'm like, uh, yeah, you're right because. Just to see Raiden show up, you're like, oh, wow, Raiden, what's he doing with this? But somebody else is going to be like, what uh, What just happened? Who are these people? Why are they fighting? And <laughs> why did this man with lightning powers take a baby? Uh, so that, I mean, like, yeah, he was right. Yeah, but if you're watching it, like, if you're watching Mortal Kombat and you have no idea what it is, why the fuck are you watching it? Like, you have no reason to watch it. You don't just stumble on that, like, oh, what's this Mortal Kombat thing? I have no idea what this is. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't think that there's a lot of just random people putting this one on, especially with the way it's been advertised, where it's like, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but That's a good point, though. Now that I think about it, I'm like, they don't do a very good job of explaining, like, arguably, uh, Christopher Lambert's uh, Raiden, he does a lot of exposition. Like, he explains the whole thing. There are two realms, and there's a, a big fight and everything. Like, it's laid out pretty easily in that first movie. Like, in this, I'm like, you're right, actually. Like, I I, I, I know it because I know, the, I know that first movie. I know what's happening. This, it's not really clear. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, actually, because I feel like that's actually one of this film's biggest weaknesses. Like, we've been ragging on a lot of fine details, but in terms of just, like, structure, one of the ugliest aspects of the film is that they put too much effort into explaining the wrong things, mm-hmm. where it's, like, very poor choice. Like, like why, why would you go about things in that way? That seems, that doesn't seem like the, that doesn't seem like a straight line, you know? You're going all over the place trying to shed light on details that I don't think anyone was really asking about. But we'll we'll get into that in a second, but I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned uh Raiden though, Nick, where it's like, yeah, uh, lightning strikes and a man with with a uh, dome cap uh, appears and uh Kyle Kyle is actually familiar with this actor. We're both uh kind of fans of his, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's kind of disappointing <laughs> when I was watching it because it took me a second to realize who he was. And I looked on IMDb. I'm like, oh, it's oh, what's his name in uh, Ichi the Killer? Kakihara. Kakihara. Um, Nick, you've probably seen the cover of this movie before. It is a Japanese guy with blonde hair and he's got like a Chelsea grin. And he's got like, I think he has like rings holding it together almost. Uh he plays like this super skinny uh, uh, yakuza 
torturer? He's not even a hitman. He's a torturer. And he's so cool in that role. And then you see him in this, and you're like, oh, man. The years have not been kind to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been 20 It's been twenty years since then. And uh, it, it's hard for me to look at him because if you look if you look up any movies he was doing in the 2000s, he was the epitome of fucking cool. He was yeah. like Japanese Brad Pitt cool. Yeah. Like, he, he was that level of fucking cool. And... Yeah, now now he's just like he seems so human. I know. <laughs> it's like it's like oh, you're still handsome, but like like dad handsome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find a picture of him when he's younger, bub, and send it to you. I just realized what I know him from because I was like I recognize his face. It says he's in Forty Seven Ronin, but I don't know what part he plays in that. But I think I know why I know him. He's in the Marvel movies. He's in Thor. He plays one of oh, like yes, he is. He play he plays Hogun. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I yeah, know. He him. has like two fucking lines in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so funny enough, the the two Japanese actors we have in this film, Hiroyuki Sanada, who plays Scorpion, uh, and Tadanobu Asano, the guy who plays Raiden, uh, have both been in the MCU now. Uh, Sanada has a bit role in a uh, Endgame. Um, he gets killed by Hawkeye in the the Tokyo sequence in that. Um, so he doesn't get to play like a cool character or anything, but he was in the Wolverine, so he was in the Fox uh, version of the X-Men franchise. But yeah, uh, the two of them uh, are atypical among like high-profile Japanese actors in that they they both have decent command of the English language, so they can actually work internationally. And they do pop up in blockbuster films, much to my dismay for the most part. Sanada has done a lot better. Asano was in fucking Battleship that hurt my feelings like that hurt my soul to see you know one of the coolest japanese actors from the past 20 years in fucking battleship opposite taylor kitsch or whatever uh not completely off topic but i had a buddy uh who went on a date with a girl and we like walked past her one day he's like you see that girl i'm like yeah he's like i went on a date with her and I asked her what her favorite movie was, and she said Stealth. <laughs> and he, yeah. And uh, he's like, that was the only date we went on. <laughs> it was because of that. <laughs> Run for the fucking hills. But Battleship <laughs> Battleship is on that list of, like, if you were on a date with someone, she's like, oh, my favorite movie's Battleship. I'm like, can we get the check? Uh, <laughs> I, I gotta go. I mean, that's approaching I gotta take a shit territory. Yeah. <laughs> not even check. Just I, uh, I gotta take a shit. I gotta take a shit. And, uh, and then leave. Or just not even, but, not even tell her, like, I'm gonna go to the restroom. And then just walk out the restaurant. Yeah, I, I don't expect deep conversations coming out of experiences with either of those people. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, sorry, Kyle. Spit take. Almost <laughs> just spit about, take. Just about lost. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, uh, Raiden, Tadanobu Asano, uh, he comes down from the heavens via a thunderbolt, and just by happenstance, I guess he's looking for a baby. Like He, he just goes rooting around in people's houses <laughs> yeah. without asking. Everybody's dead, and he takes a look around. He's like, well, I mean, if you know everybody's dead i guess i'll just help myself to their cookies and, and he like looks under the floorboards i don't know why he was inclined to do that but he finds a baby in a basket and he's like oh well nobody's gonna mind if i take this baby right it's yeah. free <laughs> so he free takes baby. the fucking baby yeah he needed uh he needed a cute face so he could buy uh lands for oil uh can we switch gears to the bitch that is the main character of this film uh... one last thing and and then and then i'll let i'll let you get on your tirade so um one thing that again i want to say that has this has to do with some sort of disagreement in terms of editing um comes in the form of a fucking 
slide. We get text. It's not quite a crawl, but we get a text slide in this movie. And I'll read it off. Earthrealm is on the verge of catastrophe. Should it lose one more tournament, the savage realm of Outworld will invade, but an ancient prophecy foretells that a new group of champions will be united by the rise of Hanzo Hasashi's blood. Whoa. (laughs) So so that's the majority of the setup for your story. Um, The prophecy thing is a little... That's a new element that's never been part of the games at any point. It's never previous, never in any of the previous movies. The prophecy thing is very unsettling. I, I right off the bat, I was like, I don't like prophecies, man. Like, yeah. Chosen one's <laughs> fine, but a cho- like a chosen one derived from a very specific bloodline. Yeah. It's like so. This prophecy originated when, <laughs> like, because the events that we just saw with this bloodline happened in the 1600s. And then the only survivor of that incident came in the form of a mystery a mystery baby that was taken by a man via thunderbolt. <laughs> so who who created this prophecy? <laughs> it's like yeah. no one survived except for the mystery baby. Anyway, um, yeah, we immediately jump to a different scene involving a totally new character. Okay, so from what I understand, our main character is Cole Young, played by Ricky Tan. I'm sorry, Lewis Tan. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so this dude, um, from what I understand, he's not an actual character from the game. Correct. Okay. So we're following a character not from the game, and he's kind of a pussy. Uh, his his <laughs> his job at the beginning, it, like the the ref is kind of. I guess he knows the ref, and he's just like, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say I wrote down all the fights, like who fought who, and like the winner of each fight. I have Cole versus Guy, winner, Guy. And then every other fight that he has, the other person wins. <laughs> so the referee guy is he's he's not wrong. Yeah. He's like he's just he says you're just like a punching bag or whatever it is. And I like I'm surprised this this wife has stayed with him. I'm like this is grounds for divorce, man. Like this dude is a bitch. Like he's just getting his ass pummeled the whole movie. Like <laughs> I could not care less about him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a he's a big source of frustration in this film. Um and for the life of me I'm not entirely certain why they decided to go with an original character uh, to lead this film because he is positioned as the protagonist. His screen time is wisely somewhat limited because it's kind of a a packed cast in terms yeah. of like getting all the fan service characters in there. You, you have to get have all the to, characters in. Yeah. You have to make room and they did that well enough um so they it's not like he's he's monopolizing the screen time or anything but uh lewis tan is not especially well known to me as an actor i know he's been working for a few years Um, i believe philip tan is his dad and everyone in this conversation has seen philip tan and stuff Uh, he is a veteran of the film industry um he was in lethal weapon 4 uh as i think he was the Delivery boy that they chase, they chase him. Down. Chris Rock chases him. I know him exactly down. who you're talking about. Yeah, I know exactly. Who I he think is. that I think that was him. And That's what I was saying been, this whole movie. <laughs> and he may have been in your uh, your precious Three Musketeers as well. Uh, um. <laughs> he's in parts. He does stunts for Inception, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers, Tango and Cash. Yeah, so he's done a lot yeah, of stuff. He's been in everything. Yeah. Um, Louis Tan, however, is kind of just getting off the ground as far as I know. Uh, so he's he could on stay enough. on the ground. Fuck. 
he's on a netflix show called woo assassins that i've been meaning to use my girlfriend's account to watch um, <laughs> more than likely without her because I, I wouldn't subject her to that um, although that show does have some incredible martial arts talent involved in it it has equal lies and mark Dacascos and apparently lewis tan point is he was an unknown quantity to me coming into this film so i was kind of looking at this film as maybe an excuse to become a fan didn't really work out uh he the character's kind of god awful like like kyle yeah. said he he's actually when when i think about it like when i really put my thinking cap on and take things for a walk uh, he kind of reminds me of captain america in the first avengers movie where he sucks until until it really counts i guess because if you recall in that film captain america is he's the fish out of water he doesn't get most of the jokes he's mostly ineffectual and wrong-headed until they get in like a quote-unquote war situation and he starts directing traffic which this character inexplicably starts doing in the final act uh so keep that in the back of your mind as we talk about this but yeah um he kind of sucks on on the whole um and there is lip service paid to his backstory here and it's that he used to be a good mixed martial artist like apparently he held a belt for some organization because copyright's a bitch and you know you got to pay royalties if you mention real brands and stuff so uf ufc ain't going to be in the movie unless you pay them uh, so he was a mixed martial arts champion, but now he's apparently on a losing streak and getting paid pennies to fight on short notice. Um, but the one thing that really bugged me and was a big red flag when we started this movie is that he has a fucking family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he in my Mortal Kombat movie, we have a character who is worried about his wife and daughter the whole time. It has to be vengeance. That is a Mortal Kombat. It has to be vengeance. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. That is exactly right. In in most of your fighting game characters, that's the backstory. They're either mourning the loss of a friend or a family member. The family, though, has to be pushed dead. away. <laughs> they, they're either dead or they are a, they're a dead, non-factor. Dead as a fucking doornail. They have to be dead. Dead. Because <laughs> uh, that's Liu Kang's arc in that first movie. It's like he's so much of a he's a really good fighter and he's such a hothead and that's the whole thing. I mean, it's not a great arc, but at least that's the point. Is like you have to channel your frustration into fighting well, not just ang like angrily. And this guy is just, they're they're really not even a factor until fucking Goro shows up. I did you I roll the Goro? Because yeah, because thank you. I did. I there, there's my eye roll for fucking Goro. Jeez, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, but personally for me, having a character that's concerned about a family and having that that family actually be involved in the story. I, I mean, in, in in the other films, basically Raiden would just grab you and spirit you away to wherever wherever the real shit was happening, mm-hmm. and then whatever you leave behind, like. Jax in that first Mortal Kombat movie. Hey, Sonya, Sonya, that's it for Jax. Yep. <laughs> he's not on the boat. We don't. We don't even cut. Yeah. We don't even cut back to Jax to see what he's doing. Nope. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of that movie is that it essentially is a tournament film. It essentially is like Enter the Dragon with supernatural shit, and it's it's basic shit, but it moves. It stays focused. Whereas this one kind of goes all over the map and almost feels like a fucking National Treasure movie in the first act. I, for some reason, um, I tried rewatching The Predator, the most recent Predator installment. For some reason, that movie, this movie just kind of felt like that. And I'm not sure why. Maybe the CGI, I think, is about the same. 
uh, personally. Uh, similar cast where there's like you have a bunch of people, but not a lot of people are actually doing anything. But I don't know. I've just got a, a predator vibe. Um, Kung Lao is that his name? Yeah, Kung I Lao. think that he would have been a much better leading character. Like that actor and that character, I think would have been a good person to rally behind. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, Max Huang uh, portrays Kung Lao in this movie. And in terms of uh, martial arts credibility, he's one of the standouts. Uh, He's been part of the Jackie Chan stunt team for about a decade now. And, you know, those are the the twilight years of the Jackie Chan stunt team, but it still counts. You know, that that (laughs) name brand counts for something. So in terms of actual martial arts chops, he's got them. Uh, But much like we said at the very top of this recording about Liu Kang, uh, he doesn't get shit to do. I mean, he gets a couple of cool moments. Um, And yes, actually, that character showed a lot of promise because he was very easily identifiable um, in terms of his characterization. Regardless of your familiarity with the games, Mm -hmm. you, you take one look at him, you see the way he carries himself, the way he moves, the way he talks about himself, and you figure him out. Like, it's really basic stuff. And it's easy to latch on to if you're if you're coming into this totally blind and Liu Kang and Gong Lao are traditionally like a, a two-for-one deal like they're they're traditionally like like the double dragons kind of like they they play off of each other well and we don't even get to we don't even get a fight scene of them doing a, <laughs> a X-Men Origins Wolverine back to back I did I, I like that idea of having that dynamic like having those two kind of run the show that could be fun not this fucking loser. This guy's just like, just shoulders hunched over. Like, oh no, you should be kind of good at fighting. I mean, I have two theories. One is that the studio wanted creative control over some part of the movie, and having an original creation, I guess, gives you that. Um, and two, marketing. Be, uh, two, I think, is the fish out of water aspect, where <laughs> we have some dumb guy who doesn't know anything about about anything that's about to happen so it gives every other character an excuse to dump exposition at him i'm saying you have this new character in this movie it's a way that you can try to shoehorn it into mortal Kombat as a downloadable character is what i'm getting at nick would you pay money to play cole young in mk11 shit no <laughs> no, but you're you're not the most important person. You're you're almost in your thirties. Like we have younger people watching this. Like we have teenagers. It's something else for them to pay for. It's something else for them to download. <laughs> Cole Young FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> no mo FOMO. I, I could get like outfits and costumes more than I can get an actual character. So I, I see where you're coming from with that. But no, honestly, well, I, I, I I do see where you're coming from though, Kyle. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Like, maybe that's why they have the new characters so we can try to make money off of this shit. No, I, I see where you're coming from because it's like a it's an if then scenario where if Cole took off, like if he resonated with audiences, then you put him into the game. If I you, don't think that I don't think the then is gonna be if you happening anytime soon. If you would have put a new character and given him Kano's, uh, like Kano's personality, then you might actually have something because arguably. I mean, besides the the Scorpion and Sub Zero uh, bookends, Kano's the most fun part of the movie. Yeah, across the board, I think every critic agrees with you. Uh, Kano is certainly the he's the standout among the cast. Uh, Josh Lawson, I believe, is the name of the actor. Um, he is most certainly going to get some additional roles off of off of the strength of this performance because he is incredibly charismatic. 
it's very obvious that a lot of his quips are are improvised um and yeah he he's he's very charismatic yeah. um he he really stands out amongst the cast and that's not to say a lot of the acting is terrible in this movie some some of the performances are just fine but he's definitely the standout but um yeah we're we're introduced to Cole in the locker room of an MMA gym and uh a woman is wrapping his hands who is later revealed to be his wife and he also has like a teenage daughter and uh he's taking this fight on short notice uh, the owner of the of the arena or or gym or whatever uh, has little confidence in him he dumps exposition about how oh you used to be good now you suck and like nick had said we do get a cage fight here and uh he starts out doing okay and uh he ends up tapping out uh so he doesn't exactly win but um <clears throat> there's a curious bit of editing here where if the first time it happened I thought, oh, that had to, that had to be like a slip up, or that that was dumb. Like this was ADR on the level of On Deadly Ground, which we talked about just last week. Um, so we have a line from his teenage daughter, who's kind of, kind of like his his trainer, I guess, or his second at the very least, and she says, "Throw your uppercut." But the editing is all fucked up here because he is in the middle of the tightest fucking like body to body clinch you can imagine. His 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 arms are under the other man's armpits. There is there is no punch to be thrown from any <laughs> angle in this position. It's like, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's gonna happen right now. But when when we hear that from her, it's it's a really obvious dub like an, an ADR. And like I said, I thought that was a mistake, but put a pin in that. It will come back. <laughs> um, but then we have uh, one of the most questionable edits in this movie, and that is a cut from him like on the mat in the gym after having lost to a barren blasted wasteland and a title card that says Outworld. And it's it's the most jarring transition where it's like, yes, Outworld was mentioned on, on that slide in the opening of the movie, but this is like, like what, what you guys had mentioned about if you don't know anything about Mortal Kombat... What we are seeing here is we just jumped to a different dimension with no fanfare, with no introduction, just bam, desert, different dimension. <laughs> yeah, I thought Thanos, it le I legit thought Thanos was going to show up because it looks like the same. I think it's Guardians of the Galaxy maybe where they show him. I can't remember at the end of one of those movies where he pops up. But yeah, it looks like where Thanos hangs out. Yeah, and from a production design standpoint, Kyle, I'm sure you'd agree with me. This is one of the... the weaker elements of the film like it's such a minimal element but when you compare it to the paul ws anderson one the 1995 mortal Kombat, the look of outworld yeah is it's just a total nothing like like it's just it's just a purple desert if that yeah it sucks because uh, at least in <laughs> uh in mortal Kombat 95 uh we go to thailand it we're we're in thailand yeah, we actually built sets, and uh, it feels otherworldly. Like, it feels odd. And, yeah, this is just like, eh, CGI, some purple. It's not a big deal. Yeah, there's all sorts of statues. There's ornamentation. It, it feels like we just transitioned to a different world or something. And what's more than that, we don't even get, like, a palace or anything. No. Like, no, we're we, just we hanging get... outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, a jutting platform with a with a unnecessarily gigantic throne and i mean it's it the way it's designed it's like okay you, so are you telling me you got to walk three miles to take a shit or something <laughs> like, like like there's nothing for miles where do you hang out where are your concubines where are they supposed are they supposed to walk all the way out there i mean it's it's no fun 
Yeah, I mean, it's, this is Shang Tsung, like sorcerer and lord of part of Outworld. Like, know- he should have servants, or he should have like platters of food, like he had in the first film. Like he has nothing. He doesn't even have a fucking Game Boy. This was the nothing. fastest I think I've ever looked up. Uh, <laughs> this is the fastest I've ever looked up an actor uh, playing a role. Because as soon as I saw this guy, I'm like, oh my god, who the fuck is this dude? I'm like, I'm like, I know this guy from something. Uh, did you I have got- a line for you, Kyle. <laughs> what is it? I'm good with calculation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as soon as I, as soon as it, it hit me, I'm like, oh, I'm good with calculation. Yeah, he's the guy. He's the the Chinese accountant in uh, the Dark Knight. Mr. Lau. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actor's name is Chin Han. Yeah. But yeah, I know him as Mr. Lau. My my immediate follow up was I know the Squealers and. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's him. Yep. Yep. That that's the man himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is portraying Shang Tsung in this film, and uh, his his costume design uh, is kind of a sign of things to come. Uh, <laughs> it's that, stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of the stupid to come. <laughs> um, yeah, it the costume design in this film, and I could already tell this from the trailers, is something that I, I don't know. It, it's a personal choice, but personally, I I much prefer the '95 version. 95 version was not nearly as flashy but it, it kind of like balanced the utility with with the you know flashy aesthetics that are required to you know portray out otherworldly characters and stuff but everybody everybody in this is is a little too much if you ask me like like all the armor all the ornamentation it's too bulky it's too much that's just my personal opinion but Shang Tsung it's like okay wow uh, uh, pauldrons like you look like you're straight out of World of Warcraft I actually uh, okay, so this is the scene where we get introduced to Shang Tsung, and yeah, it's, I was also the same way. I was like, okay, uh, this is not good. The whole Outworld, this whole scene, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, what? Why? It, I was honestly getting Mortal Kombat Annihilation vibes, which is never good. But my note here, I have Shang Tsung looks like Big Trouble, Little China, Lopan. I don't know why I got those vibes, but <laughs> I was like, this is this is not good. And yes, that's the first thing I thought of too. I'm good with calculation. That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, he's from Batman. And that's it, though. That's all I know him from. <laughs> yeah, he's he's done other stuff, but everyone in this conversation, we we've seen him before. Yeah. We know who he is. That's that's enough. I mean, not every act, not every actor has that role on their filmography where you can say, I know him from things. Um, that's true. But yeah, I, I get what you mean about the Lopan vibes. Uh, only difference is the addition of like armor plating on top of that. But he certainly has the pins in his hair, much like Lopan did. But um, we get a little bit of exposition here where um, we get something that was yet another red flag in a never-ending series of red flags where Shang Tsung uh, has an audience with a Sub-Zero, or rather flip that, reverse it. And uh, he declares that there will be no tournament. And right there, I'm like... Excuse me? <laughs> uh, ex- th- there will not be a tournament in our Mortal Kombat film? I didn't even... I didn't even uh, what did you say? I didn't even, uh, I didn't even think about how hard that would have hit you. I could see you like... So Shang Tsung's... There's not going to be a tournament. Did he just say there's not going to be a tournament? So how... What are we here for? Bad- <laughs> what are we here for? What is this? Like how hard were you crushed when you when you heard that? Um, I definitely gave a quizzical look and shifted in my seat. <laughs> I don't I don't think I I don't think I talked to my television, but I certainly adjusted my posture. I was like, mm, okay. 
Okay, that that that's a choice. That, yeah. that is a that is a creative decision. Not sure I support it, but you know, <laughs> we'll see where this goes. <laughs> Not so ready you, to turn the car around, but you know, definitely thinking about it. <laughs> so you you didn't think to have a tournament in your uh, in your tournament fighting game, right? <laughs> Hello, <gasps> Hello, yes. <laughs> I really hate that man. I really hate that man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Sub Zero said right after he walked away from that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking no. I really hate that man. <laughs> but yeah, um he Shang Tsung announces there will be no tournament because we're going to assassinate all of the potential tournament participants before the tournament can be carried out. So um, this is a controversial thing. I've noticed uh, a lot of reviewers bring this up. Um, personally, it it actually wasn't super offensive to me. It was alarming when I first ha- heard it said, but when it, by the time I got to the end of the movie, I was disengaged anyway. I didn't yeah. give a shit, so it wasn't a huge letdown. I was like, oh, well, let's just add it onto the pile. <laughs> but but truth be told, you know, in terms of like violating franchise canon and stuff, it's not an egregious decision because not every mortal Kombat game has a tournament like very few of them do honestly like i think the entire plot of mk3 was shao Kahn invades earth and they just fucking fight <laughs> uh what's the 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 main thread because there's stories in mkx mk10 um but what like each one has their own little path like uh what's cassie she's got her own thing kano's got his own thing the the witch doctor guy, whatever his whatever his thing is. Who's the big dude? Big Total Con. Yeah, there we go. That guy. He's got his own thing. Thick boy. But yeah, what's I mean, is there a main is there an actual story with that or is just everybody's got their own little thread? Uh MKX was primarily about the cages, like the cage family. Yeah. And the cage slash blade connection. Sonya and, and uh Johnny Cage hook up and have a kid. Um MK eleven is about fucking time travel. <laughs> and uh yeah that's about all i'll say about that <laughs> it's, it's too convoluted to get into Kyle. Okay, okay. <laughs> um but yeah long story short uh sub-zero is introduced to us in proper and it's now 2021 and uh, he now has blue irises uh, he's got his full suit of armor which again i think is a liability um, both in terms of aesthetics and in terms of action performance you can tell it's restrictive because it's bulky it's it He's wearing cool. fucking. I think it's too big. Um, Joe Taslim has a very slim profile, and putting putting so much bulk in his shoulders gives him a weird profile. It gives him a weird silhouette, if you ask me. That's what I was gonna ask you guys. What did you think of his outfit? Because I didn't like. I really didn't like it. I didn't. I felt like the even the face mask was even too too bulky, where it was distracting to me. Which I don't know. I didn't really care that for anybody. Kyle was fine with it. Fine Nick with it. thinks it's too bulky. I I tend to agree with Nick. Um, although, it it looks good from certain angles. It's it's more just like the shoulders are a little much. But yeah, the the mask does jut forward from his face a little too far, to the point that's like, gosh, you got a big head. <laughs> but, but it's just the mask. Fuck off. <laughs> but but um, he also declares himself Sub-Zero at this point. He's no longer Bihan, which was what he was going by apparently in the 1600s. And this is where I start to get confused and suspect that there are some missing scenes because after he killed Scorpion, he said in plain English for the Lin Kuei, which is his clan. That makes sense. But now it's 2021 
he is in a different dimension mm-hmm. working for a sorcerer from a different dimension what happened like like <laughs> like his allegiance has shifted and he visited a new dimension sometime within the past several hundred years well scorpion says at the end that he crawled out of hell like he's like he was in hell and then he like learned to master hell and then he got out of hell maybe sub-zero maybe like there's different realms but everybody has like the same kind of weird hell i don't know man well i mean Sub-Zero's longevity has been explained as being, like, he's part Edenian, which is where Kitana comes from, and Rain, apparently. So that's not a concern, like, how is he so many hundreds of years old? My question is, how did he come into Shang Tsung's employ? Uh, because if I remember, in my day anyway, the first Mortal Kombat, the plot was that Bihan was trying to assassinate Shang Tsung. Yeah, do you remember not, not working for him? <laughs> do you remember that scene when Johnny K- like they're they're trying to find Katana and they're like going down that corridor and they're going through the webs and he's like, I know she went this way, and I'm like, how did she get through the webs if you're going through the webs? <laughs> so I can smell her perfume and yeah, sorry idiot no, it, <laughs> no that, that's that's a problem with this film is that they draw attention to the wrong things they by by over explaining things it gives me free reign to ask questions whereas I've, I've used this explanation in other conversations whereas you if you do things by the christopher nolan book a a suitcase with a cord coming out of it is a machine that allows you to enter people's dreams yeah that's the extent of the explanation. Therefore, I can I can't ask questions. I can't question the internal logic of the film. Whereas this film tries to really explain itself, and it's like, I'm gonna stop you right there. I don't need to know that. I, th- I think <laughs> what they do is they throw in an Inception. They throw Maud in real quick. It's like, so wait a minute. Oh no no no, Maud's coming. Maud's coming. The wife in that movie. Don't just <laughs> yeah, coming. basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna get interesting. Shut up. Just don't worry about that. She's she's gonna pop up and do something. Yeah, but long story short. Uh, Sub-Zero is dispatched to Earthrealm, so to another dimension, uh, to kill all the potential tournament participants. And we learn in the next scene via a conversation between Jax, uh, who appears at the venue where Cole was just fighting, uh, to just ask some slightly slightly weird questions. <laughs> He's like, hey, I'm a big fan. Can I see your, can I see your nipple? <laughs> And uh, Jax is portrayed by Mikad Brooks. Good, uh, good who, Jax casting, I think. He's he's fine. Yeah, yeah, he was just fine. Like uh, he's, I think he's on that Supergirl TV show as uh, Jimmy Olsen. Uh, I don't know what he does there, but if I remember right, I, I think he's uh, he's worked with Tyler Perry before. And there's a meme of him. So I, th- I think he's the ashtray bitch guy. I could be wrong on that, but but there's a great moment from one of those films where it's just it's like him laying in a bed yelling, Astray, bitch! <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, McCod Brooks does just fine as Jax. Unfortunately, his screen time is severely limited. But what yeah. we learn here, and we did see this uh, on Scorpion in the opening scene um, via a shot of his, of his inner forearm, uh, that uh, tournament participants have a birthmark on them that's shaped like the Mortal Kombat dragon insignia. And uh, Cole has one on his chest. And so does Jax. We learned that in just a second here. But uh, the sequence where Sub-Zero appears to uh, try to kill everybody, it feels like it's out of a horror movie. And I thought it was done fairly well, to be honest. Yeah, like the handling of the special effects and the sound design here is quite solid. I, um, I saw the I saw it start snowing. I'm like, oh, he come Sub Zero's coming. 
Sub Zero's coming. <laughs> in July? Yeah, that, that's what, <laughs> yeah, in July? It's Sub Zero! Yeah, it starts snowing out, and uh, we get a pretty cool scene where he just throws a bunch of like hail balls basically yeah. down the street, and this one dude eats one in the fucking dome. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's just collateral damage, but that, that guy ate shit. And then I'm pretty sure the way they handled stuff with the SUV... Uh, because uh, Jax comes around the corner and uh, saves Cole and his wife and daughter by having them all pile into his SUV. Uh, we get some stunt driving here, but I suspect that the way they did some of these, quote, special effects was they just had the camera in an actual SUV and literally just throw through snowballs at the windows. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see a need to do CGI snowballs like it, it's so obscured by the windows and stuff you can't tell you know it's weird i i said that uh, i think mortal kombat annihilation is actually better uh than this movie but this kind of is kind of like mortal kombat annihilation where it's like we have to go no you have to go find uh, you got to go find sonya real quick i'm like we're doing that in this movie too it didn't work last time it wasn't good why are we doing yeah that? there was a there was a line here kyle that uh made me giggle for dumb reasons it's because you know it's an action movie trope especially in the uh the national treasure slash uh michael bay transformers vein of action films where we have a globe-trotting adventure of some sort and like a prophecy or, or some sort of secrets we have to uncover that nobody wants you to know and stuff like it's really common in those kind of films to have somebody step in and say you gotta go here and then go save yourself or something in this movie though it's you gotta go to gary indiana <laughs> i wrote I that down I've ever, i have never heard that said even in daily speech no one have to go to gary I have, indiana i wrote that down i said i said you wrote you need to go to gary indiana said no one ever i'm like in what no movie one. has anybody ever needed to go to gary indiana maybe silence of the lambs i don't know if that's where buffalo bill was or whatever his name was but i'm like nobody ever has to go to gary indiana no, he was somewhere in like West Virginia or Virginia or something. Maybe maybe Tennessee even. Yeah, no, no one's ever no, I don't think anyone's ever said the phrase you need to go to Gary, Indiana for anything. Unless they've got like a good white castle there. Maybe they had to go to the good white castle in Gary, but no one's ever said that. But yeah, Jax drops that line while he's pulling out a beefy ass John Wick shotgun. Uh so he gives his car to Cole and his family and in maybe the dumbest decision ever decides to head into a building to confront Sub-Zero? Yeah, what the fuck are you going to do? He's a he, he's a demon with ice basically. Like what are you going to do the, to the him? the man the man basically decimated a city block with with hail like also, without even expending any effort. Are you sure you want to chase him in a in a building like that? Also <laughs> Sub-Zero is not very good at his job. Because he doesn't actually, he doesn't kill Jax. He freezes his arms, smashes them, and he's like, oh, good enough. <laughs> now off to the next one. Yeah, it's a curious thing in action films. People are just not very big on checking pulses. Like, yeah. It takes two seconds. You, know? <laughs> like, dude, you can just do a, a quick little icicle dagger and just like right in the heart. I think that'll kill him. Yeah, and anything, really. And I mean, one of Sub-Zero's trademark fatalities is a head rip, which spoiler alert does not happen in this film um but yeah we have a scrap between sub-zero and Jax. i did like um again maybe simon mccoy is is a better setup to do uh 
horror films rather than martial arts films because some of some of those moments in the film are handled fairly well i like the shot down the alleyway where sub-zero and his mist cloud go into the building and jacks pursues him it's shot from the right angle with the right lighting it looks pretty cool Uh, but they have a little scrap here um and we have we have an establishment of sub-zero being like grossly overpowered at this point in the film in that jacks lands some hits on him but he he completely no sells them, and I guess you could argue that's his armor. Oh. Like he he punches him in the chest, he punches him in the face, has no effect. But yeah, like Kyle said, uh, the fight ends by a trailer moment. If you watch the red band trailer of the film, you did see this moment. So I guess that's a bit of fun robbed of you know your potential enjoyment of the film. Uh, he freezes both of Jax's arms and explodes I wonder what's going to happen. Arms. I wonder what's yeah, going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen next. <laughs> He's going to get better, right? <laughs> did did you see Dead did you see Deadpool 2 where <laughs> little legs? So yes, little legs. So Deadpool 2 if you haven't seen it is really worth your time. It is very funny. Um what happens in that movie is he I think he blows himself up and he kind of has to regrow himself. So it's normal torso Ryan Reynolds talking, but then he's got these two little little kid, they're like child's legs basically on his on the bottom, and it's really funny. When I saw Jax when he gets his arms, it's like the same thing. He has like these Terminator arms, but they're like tent, like they're like little just little bitty arms, and I'm like throughout the movie, I'm like, are they gonna keep it like that? Because that looks so fucking stupid. Why would they do that? Yeah, it it's it's. It's resolved the by legs. the time you get to the end of the film, but this is like a, this is a interesting choice. Well, well, you opened that. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go, but just the whole the arms. How, they're in a cave. I mean, that's we're jumping ahead. I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I've got problems with the arms. Okay, we'll just put it. We'll we'll just put it okay. there. I've got we'll, problems. We'll, we'll, we'll come get to, to the arms. Now. We'll get to the arms, and uh, you, we can all get it all out because I have stuff to say about that too. But at this point in the film. Uh, Jax has no arms, and he takes a, a nasty spill off the balcony, but he is not dead. However, the very next scene, we get to see that somebody is reporting to Shang Tsung that he is dead. So apparently uh, somebody lied to somebody or, again, didn't bother to check a pulse. But we get this really strange scene here. So this is our introduction to Melina, uh, who I think is the character who gets done the most dirty in this film. It's pretty hot. Uh, at least... Well, the... <sighs> And she is. <laughs> okay, she, she's distract. She's distracting from certain angles. I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> sorry, Nick. Um, but yeah, she is introduced to us, and uh, Sissy Stringer is the name of the actress. I think she also has done some directing or assistant directing at the very least. Um, she's just she just appears, and we're in an, like an outworld like canyon of some sort, and. She, Shang Tsung is taking a walk with some retainers, like some dudes carrying spears next to him, and he's all covered in fucking soot. He doesn't look not nearly as glorious as we saw him in the previous scene. It's like, where are you going and what are you doing? <laughs> because this makes no fucking sense. But she she like pulls up alongside him and tells him that, oh, hey, Jax is dead. One of the tournament participants is dead. And that's our really sloppy introduction of Melina, who, again... I think is the character who got the the rawest of deals in this film, and I say that because Melina was in MK Annihilation. You do you, either of you remember her in that? Yep. No. Be, because of how yeah, crappily she, she was delivered in that as well. Exactly. 
So in MK Annihilation, Kyle, she was in <laughs> the gratuitous uh, uh, mud fight with Sonya. <laughs> so right after she frees Jax, uh, Sonya has to have some mud wrestling with Melina, who has no lines and just shows up for a brief mud wrestling match in the center of the film. Tasteful mud wrestling match, I will say, but a mud wrestling match, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I think that's what we called it before. Yeah. It was a tasteful wrestling. It was tasteful, uh, match. but it was a mud wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll we'll get more to Molina later. But just put a pin in that she isn't very well represented in this film, and the reason I'm trying to draw so much attention to it is because she's had a go at being in a live action film in this franchise. This was their chance to redeem that. And the other important factor is that Melina is a very popular character, like very popular to the point that she wasn't in MK11 and it was due to fan demand that she was added to MK11. So making this movie whenever they shot it, they probably should have checked the pulse of their own fan base and gotten wise to the fact that, hey, you know, if you're going to put Melina in the movie, maybe do a good job with her. And they really, really didn't. In fact, it seemed like the contrary to that, in fact. But um, anyway, uh, that information is related to Shang Tsung. They think Jax is dead, and we do see like a Goro statue or at least a, a Shokan statue. I was really Goro's concerned race. when I saw the Goro statue. I'm like, are they not going to have him in here, or are they going to have him in here, and he's going to be giant, like really, really big? I was like, god damn it, they're going to ruin Goro. Yeah, folks at home, in case you're wondering, uh, Kyle is a, a very big fan of uh the way goro was executed in the first mortal Kombat film he, he appreciates the animatronics the voice pretty much everything about it yeah uh, so when goro was revealed to even be in this film i'm pretty sure it, it uh put you on alert a little bit <laughs> yeah i'm like it's gonna be cgi nonsense and that's exactly what he is <laughs> <laughs> not surprised uh but yeah our very next scene is our introduction to sonya who's played by a Jessica McNamee. She's not known to me as an actress, but Kyle, you got, you got some thoughts on the matter? <laughs> She's pretty hot. Uh, no, she, like, I was I was excited when she came across. I'm like, I hope she's a dick, like uh, Sonya was in the first movie. Like, I was super excited about that. I'm like, not that she's barely, she's not even a character in the movie. Uh, she's, I don't like her personality. I was expecting her to be mean. I want her to be mean again. She, she has some stuff going on like the way the way they handle her is that uh it's explained to us at some point that the only people who can participate in the tournament are people with the birthmarks mm-hmm. and she doesn't have one and yet she really 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 wants one so she's it's like a boys club type situation where she's shown in many instances in the film to be more competent and capable than the other male characters but because she doesn't have you know the id card to get into the club she can't participate um, it's pretty obvious what the payoff to that thread is going to be. And, you know, if you have half a brain, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. It, it actually does. But um, let me run this by you, Kyle, because I haven't shared this with anyone yet. And I'm curious if if I'm, I'm crazy. Maybe you can see this. But uh, Jessica McNamee, um, the way she enunciates, the way she delivers her lines in this film reminded me a lot of Frances McDormand. Specifically, like Fargo, Francis McDormand. Uh, <laughs> like something about the way her, uh, if you if you isolate like from the nose down and a little bit of the eyes, but it's mostly her lips and her the way she kind of puts her mouth forward when she talks. 
You know, I didn't pick up on that. I'm pretty sure she's Australian. I think most of the the white people in this movie. Are this Australian. is an extraordinarily Australian yeah. production, Kyle. Most <laughs> of them are Australian. Uh, I did not pick up on that, but I'm glad that you brought up Frances McDormand because I just recently uh, rewatched Fargo, and she might be the most adorable character in cinema history in that movie. She she and her husband in that are precious. It's the cute uh, Nick. Have you seen Fargo? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's excellent. Uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie, but she is an adorable little pregnant cop from uh, Minnesota uh, who just, she talks like this the whole time. It's the cutest thing. Yeah, <laughs> Grandma and oh. Grandpa. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Now, now now that you have that in your head, though, yeah, Kyle, I'm trying just, to think. Just imagine her saying, a little parting gift from Kano. <laughs> <laughs> You see it now? <laughs> I'm so glad I finally got it out. I've been sitting on that for a week now. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Yes, I can see that. Little parting gift from Kano. Little parting gift from Kano. <laughs> oh, you oh, know. night crawlers. You got some night crawlers there. You know, I'm not too confident in your uh, police work there, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jax, he's going crazy out there at the lake. He's got two, two metal arms. Two of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, if, you're gonna, if you do any more Sonya lines, can you please do it? Like her <laughs> if I can remember any Sonya lines. But, um, yeah, Sonya is interesting. Oh, last, last tangent here. Yeah, I mentioned this is an extraordinarily Australian production. Pretty sure the director is Australian. Jessica McNamee's Australian. Josh Lawson is the only Australian who's allowed to be Australian in this film. And I think it's funny that he shares a lot of screen time with Jessica McNamee because I'm sure there are a lot of botched takes of her, her yeah. slipping back into <laughs> her accent. Into <laughs> and then uh, both of uh, Louis Tan's, uh, both his wife and daughter, both Australian. And uh, Nathan Jones, a uh, big old bald man. Oh, yeah. Uh, Former pro wrestler Nathan Jones, Rictus Erectus himself from Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, he is most certainly an Aussie. Uh, you know the guy that plays the Doctor in Fury Road, also Australian, is the voice of Goro. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. And uh, Cabal um, is portrayed by Damon Harriman, and he is not known to me. However, he's known to you because he was on Mindhunter, I think. Oh, um, who did he play? He was Mind- the fellow that played... Uh, it's Man. It's Manson. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's played. Yeah. Man- he plays Manson in uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. That's right. But yeah, he's the voice of Cabal in this. Um, gotcha. So yeah, it's a. It's a. It's all Aussies all the time. Pretty much in all Mortal of it, Kombat yeah. 2021, which is not a bad thing by any means. I just think it's a funny little trivia fact that's like you know I'm pretty sure everyone in this cast is covering an accent of some sort except for Josh Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll get to him in just a second. But yeah, Sonya is introduced here. Uh, Cole arrives in Gary, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in. And, lo- she had- <laughs> and she's in a fucking like camper trailer. Is she in a trailer in this? Yeah, it's like a trailer. Uh, in like a junkyard or something. Dude, a trailer in a junkyard in Gary, Indiana, and <laughs> this smoke show is there. Are you out of your mind? That's <laughs> not happening. Uh, but yeah, uh, Cole, he uh, he hops the fence. He gets to do his own little stunt here. Uh, sticks the landing good on him. Hopefully he didn't roll an ankle doing that take. Uh, and Sonya just comes out of nowhere. They have a very, very, very brief scrap, and uh, she says a trailer line in the form of, I'm Sonya because uh, they have an embarrassing element of the trailer, which is honestly borrowed from the marketing of the first film where every character basically says their name, much like a Pokemon or something. Um, 
And then we have the National Treasure slash Michael Bay Transformers moment or uh, Amazing Spider-Man. In, insert action movie from the past 10 years trope in here where she takes him into the back of her trailer, which reveals a hidden compartment, which is like a series of shipping containers where she's built like a uh, Pepe Silvia office <laughs> where it's basically like a, a conspiracy theorist board covered with photos and artifacts and stuff so apparently the way they decided to do the storytelling here was instead instead of having christopher lambert's raiden like very ably and cleanly just spell it out to everybody and have all the answers we have a situation where apparently her and jack's ran into a outworld assassin at some point and that set them on a conspiracy theorist trail of doing an independent investigation no 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 nick 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 is looking like luke skywalker at the end of empire i was thinking he's doing a real wyatt urban uh wyatt urban tombstone no 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 Yeah, so these two special forces members on on taxpayers' time and money <laughs> are doing an investigation into the Mortal Kombat tournament. Yeah. And everything is apparently based in theory, but she feels she has a pretty good idea of what's going on here. And in this scene, we get a series of visual Easter eggs, uh, hopefully to you know make somebody give a shit. So we get like... Uh, Nightwolf is shown, or at least one of his tribe is shown in the form of a drawing. Uh, Kotal Khan, or at least one of his tribe or his race is shown, which actually got me a little excited, but then I realized, oh, this movie's too dumb for that. Yeah. Uh, they... Because Kotal Khan um, is one of the cooler characters in the recent Mortal Kombat games. Uh, he was introduced in X. Well, that's what threw me off, because I'm thinking, Kotal Khan, he wasn't from Earth, though, was he? No, he's from Outworld. So how the heck did they know about him? Fuck if I know. know. (laughs) They did their research, Nick. They did fucking research, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) It's what you do in the special forces, Nick. (laughs) Research. You go to the fucking library. (laughs) Read a book. (laughs) But yeah, Kodal Khan, the reason why I actually got a little bit hyped for this was that one of the cooler things about uh, MKX and MK11 that they, they added to the franchise lore was that instead of the apocalyptic vision of Outworld as represented in the first Mortal Kombat movie, um, the new games represent Outworld as just a different place. Like, yes, it's barbaric, but they, there's still civilization. There's still some form of law and order. And Kotal Khan represented what Outworld could be without Shao Kahn ruling things. And he he was a brutal dictator, but he he kind of had things on like pretty locked down. Like like he wasn't intent on invading Earth. Like Earth had diplomacy with Kotal Khan. Um, <laughs> and in those games, you get to see scenes of just like Outworld existing and not being in complete chaos and not trying to invade Earth and stuff. Um, but in this film, Outworld is so empty that it it has no character. It ha- there's no culture. There's no nothing. Um, and it was a big disappointment for me anyway. It's like a chance to do something different, and they, they totally glossed over it. But yeah, we get those visual Easter eggs just to appease, you know, whoever might be a fan of those characters and then, you know, ultimately let them down by not actually having those characters <laughs> in the film. Um, 
But point is, Sonya dumps a bunch of exposition saying, uh, I think there's a big tournament, and I think you have to have a birthmark to get in. Um, and very shortly thereafter, though, we're introduced to Joss Lawson's uh, Kano, uh, who she has held captive in the back of her Pepe Sylvia uh, dungeon. And we're introduced to him, and he immediately like I said, kind of steals the show, like right off the bat. His energy's different from all the other performances. He's a lot less wooden. Uh, he's given kind of free reign to just kind of fuck around. And he, like one of one of the first ad-libs I noticed that was really fun is that she kind of laments the fact that she doesn't have a birthmark and therefore can't participate in whatever tournament is going on. And you hear like very low on the soundtrack and off screen Kano say wah, wah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Um but yeah, Kyle, what did you think of uh, Kano in his first scene here? He's pretty funny. I had a legit laugh uh when he gets the knife in the leg. Like I, I laughed pretty hard at that. That was pretty great. Um He he's really funny at first. He he's kind of a nuisance. Um, which I think is is kind of a nice little little thing to sprinkle on because the first uh, Kano in the first movie was creepy, uh, aggressive. Like this guy's a felon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> Kano in the first one. Like this guy's a felon. Uh, this guy he just seems. I think was he a, a a a soldier? Is that his thing? He's like a mercenary. He's a he's a gun runner. He's okay. he's an arms dealer. Yeah, yeah. He was fun. I thought he was fun. Yeah, and the detail here that um, again, this is this is maybe the first example of the movie over-explaining the wrong things is that we have a lot of business about these birthmarks, and it's explained to us that Kano got a birthmark by killing someone who had a birthmark, so he wasn't supposed to be in the tournament, but apparently he killed someone, and then Sona apprehended him right after that. So you can inherit a birthmark, you can gain entry into the tournament by killing someone who was taking their place essentially um but we're rudely interrupted here by uh a very brief and and strange scene um (laughs) that parts of it feel like they're done on the cheap maybe not necessarily true but it feels like it's done on the cheap because we have an invisible attacker and a bunch of people flipping around on wires and because the the character doing this to them is invisible they don't have to render any cgi (laughs) so it's like oh that's a good cost saving measure um, and the character I'm talking about here is a uh, reptile, who I uh, was, of course, oh. maybe the highlight of the first Mortal Kombat film. I f- uh, the I'm sorry, I completely forgot he was in this. There's a reptile in this movie. There is a reptile in this movie, Kyle. <laughs> um, but he's only in this scene. It's very brief. Um, the execution of it's actually fine, um, but it's just a couple of minutes of screen time. It's a Cole and Sonya kind of just getting thrown all over the place by an invisible reptile. Uh, this is where the knife goes into Kano's thigh, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonya throws it in the general direction and misses. Quote, misses. Oh, she, <laughs> I, she got him. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Got him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's some, there's some cool stuff with the cinematography and the lighting here where um, a flare is jammed into reptile at one point and the whole room is bathed in red. Um, there's a really needless uh, wire gag where Sonya does like a leaping tornado flip uh, and has Cole has yeah. Cole like do an alley oop to her with a knife. Yeah, um, and it's like uh, I don't know if you needed to get across the room by doing that, but yeah. whatever gets you there quick, I guess. <laughs> um, but she jams the knife into reptile, and Kano does his uh, heart rip fatality. 
uh, to Reptile, uh, which, you know, that's, that's our, I guess that's our first fatality in the film. Um, and it is straight from the games. Uh, it's pretty gruesome. It's, it does the job. It's a little bit of a letdown considering that Reptile was, like I said, in terms of action spectacle, probably the best part of that first Mortal Kombat film. And in this, he's kind of nothing. CGI on him's okay, though. Like, I will say that he, he's lit well. He looks pretty good. The animation's pretty solid. Um, but now we enter into a phase of the story where uh, Cole, Sonya, and Kano ha- are forming, like, a loose alliance of sorts. Um, and we, <laughs> by plot convenience, Kano is the only one that knows how to get to where we're going. Um, and Sonya's research apparently led her to Raiden's Temple, why she never went to Raiden's Temple, we're not really sure, but now we have Kano to lead us there, and apparently he has a plane to get us there. Uh, so we very quickly jump from Gary, Indiana, to a, a sequence in a plane where uh, we parachute down into some desert somewhere. <laughs> and I noticed here that uh, Cole is not really dressed for the weather, so we're going on a hike through the fucking desert. We don't know how far we're going. And he's got like a wife beater and fucking jeans on. <laughs> no water bottle, no jacket, no backpack, nothing. Oh, yeah, this is where we meet Luke. K. Well, we have a scuffle real quick, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, Another short, brief scuffle that I was disappointed with. Yeah, scuffle. Um, yeah, and then Luke Kang just presents himself. And he sucks. Yeah, uh, the scuffle is between Kano and Sonya. Um, in case you're not aware, in case you haven't watched any Mortal Kombat thing ever, uh, Sonya and Kano have history together in the gaming franchise. They generally don't like each other. Um, oftentimes I've thought of their relationship as being a little like Batman and Jokery, where it's like Sonya has a lot of opportunities to kill Kano and just for whatever reason doesn't. Uh, however, as far as I recall, she has killed him a few times in the games. I think at least twice, <laughs> but but he does appear in a lot of the games. But anyway, she does defeat him, um, and she has an opportunity to kill him and take his uh, his uh, birthmark, um, but she decides not to. And then, like Kyle had said, uh, we are introduced to Liu Kang, who just reveals himself. Like, <laughs> like Kyle said, he just comes over the horizon, and uh, Liu Kang is portrayed by Ludi Lin, who I will say this much, um, in terms of like passing the eye test for like action star, he does. Like yeah. he's distractingly handsome, and he's certainly got the musculature to pull off being like a an action actor. But as we said up top, he doesn't get shit to do in this movie, so I actually have no idea if he has any fighting capabilities. He is the as least, an actor. I think he has the least amount of characterization in the film of any of the main characters. I think he's probably the worst. And what little characters characterization we do get is uh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, honestly, it's like I know there are plans to make sequels to this film. Um, is are we going to address that? <laughs> because he shares a little bit of a detail about his past, and it's like, whoa! I didn't I was ca- not expecting that. <laughs> I didn't catch the detail about his past. Yeah, what are you talking well, about? It's it's. Um. So there's a sequence where he's having a one-on-one conversation with Cole, and Cole asks him about like, oh, so how did you come to know Kong Lao and Raiden and stuff? And he says, well, uh, I was an orphan, and uh, Raiden me. brought he, he basically. 
like not Raiden, but basically uh, he says, <laughs> "I'm not kidding." Not Raiden. <laughs> not Raiden. Nah, like, Raiden's too. Rain doesn't do that. Yeah, he he, he do steals that. babies, but he doesn't <laughs> fuck babies. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but but no, he he shares that he was an orphan and he was like brought to the Shaolin Temple and stuff. That tracks. That's normal. But then he shares how he got his birthmark, and apparently he got a tip about like a child trafficker. And he went and killed the guy. Damn! It's like Luke Hang, you're you're dark. Yeah, <laughs> like I wasn't expecting that. Jeez. Robin Shaw wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but that that's what I wanted in my Luke Kang was like he's uh, Luke Kang is like super confident. Like that scene he has with Johnny Cage where he's just like, here, take the bags on the boat, and he's like, okay, and he just tosses it over. Like, yeah, what are you gonna do about it? That was a great character moment because it, it shows that he's he's not a pushover. Like yeah. he he's he's got some grit to him. This and, guy, you know, this guy was just too pretty. Like it just like that's all he that's all he was was just the aesthetics. I'm like, he's I, distractingly beautiful. Yeah, like, 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 <laughs> it's just it it doesn't match up. It's not what I want in the character. You know. Well, what what's weird to me is that like I said, he's given so little to do in the movie that I didn't get to see if he had any like legit fighting chops. Like, I, I really couldn't tell if he's a good performer. And that, you know, in a martial arts movie, that's kind of an important thing. Kind of. Like, he's got he's <laughs> he's got the build. Like, he does get to take his shirt off and show off his muscles, and he's got them. But he doesn't... I didn't really get to see him move. I didn't really get to see if he has that fluidity and coordination. But one thing about Liu Kang is that he's always, always been inspired by Bruce Lee. And there are certain things that, you know, any any person who is at all familiar with Bruce Lee kind of expects to see with, with any Bruce Lee imitation. Uh, the guy who plays Bruce Lee in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, do you think he would have been a good <laughs> Liu Kang? Mike Moe? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mike Moe is incredibly talented. He, I'm actually kind of shocked he's not in this movie. I was going like, to, like, had he not uh, been accidentally killed on the set of The Crow... Uh, do you think that Brandon Lee would have uh, popped up in Mortal Kombat at any point, or would he have done any kind of uh, martial arts movies? Uh, that's actually a good question, uh, because 1995 was around the same time as The Crow, mm-hmm. and Brandon Lee was he was consistently making action slash martial arts movies at that point in his career. Like he had done a few straight up martial arts movies. Uh, and the crow was kind of a deviation from that, but point is, yeah, he actually would have been positioned really well for something like that. Um, so I totally could have seen him do something like that. Um, maybe he would have thought it was beneath him, but you'd be an idiot not to at least ask, "Will you be in Mortal Kombat?" Maybe I feel like, yeah, Pops might have. Uh, well, Pops probably wouldn't have been proud of him doing Mortal Kombat. Like, yeah, I don't think Dad would have liked that. I can see that. <laughs> Uh, it, you know, it depends. Yeah. I mean, Enter the Dragon isn't exactly high art, Kyle. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's certainly a what could have been. But, yeah, Liu Kang, again, portrayed by Ludi Lin, uh, he retrieves all of our heroes from the desert and brings them to uh, Raiden's Temple, which in this is, like, subterranean. I was like, that seems kind of weird. <laughs> like we're under, we're underground. I thought we were the good guys. This seems like more of a bad guy thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, the Raiden's Temple is underground apparently, and uh, he's apparently been there for quite some time. And he does explain to us that he's actually been looking for people with birthmarks. And it's like, well, 
look fucking harder. Like, like a lot of people are dead. People are dying, Luke Kang. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're not. You're you're out here farting around the desert. Like, do the Shaolin monks not have a fucking plane or something? Like, look harder. Um, but he does escort us into the temple and show that uh, Jax is alive. Uh, they're putting uh, the baby baby arms legs on him. On him. <laughs> <laughs> the, baby, the baby arms, as Kyle calls them. I was really uh, concerned. Uh, where did they get those yeah, arms? Yeah. What is going on here? We're underground, subterranean. Is that something like underground? And they've got robot arms on this man. Where did they get him? Where did they get these arms? Too many questions. This kicked me out. <laughs> I got here and Too I was like, questions. these numbers don't add up. Liu Kang looks like he's 15. And we're just now, no. Yes. This is just, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. He just looks too young to be Liu Kang. I don't know. I guess maybe I do, you, there's like some wisdom behind Liu Kang, you would think. But yeah, maybe that's what it is. He's just too young. I, I just don't like the way he's positioned in the story, where he's firmly brushed away to the side. And it's like, but, but he's the warrior. He's the least he's... amount of character of the main, main characters. Like, yeah, and and Liu Kang is traditionally like he's the guy. That's my boy. Like, even it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he. Yeah, he's my boy. That's like, my boy. It doesn't matter if the story's centered around him or not. Usually, like he's he's kind of the fulcrum from which the the plot swings. Um, but yeah, in this, he's so brushed off to the side that he's almost inconsequential at times. In fact, he basically is. He is yeah. <laughs> he's just kind of there. Um. But yeah, the baby arms are being affixed by some monks. And, uh, uh, the reason it's important to point out that these are baby arms is because uh, the trailers did show that Jax does get his mechanical arms, as he's had in several of the games. These are not those. <laughs> uh, these are indeed baby arms, and they're functionally useless. 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 Yeah, it looks like in the Hobbit. Did you see the Hobbit where the, oh, uh, the, the orc gets his arm cut off? And it's literally just like the end of a broom with like it's like a fork. They basically just stuck yeah. a fork into his arm, and that was his new arm. It looks like shit. Yeah, no. And and what's interesting about the arms here is that uh, the arms are kind of a thing that, you know, if you know anything about Mortal Kombat, it it kind of comes with the territory when you're dealing with Jax. As far as I recall, he's only had like one appearance in the games, in like his first appearance where he didn't have them. Um, sometimes they're like in more in a annihilation where it's just like uh, they're affixed to him, but they aren't actually his arms. But then in more recent games, they actually are his arms. His arms were removed. But the reason why I'm drawing so much detail, like I'm I'm putting so much attention on this, is that uh, who took his arms is questionable. Where in this, it's like Sub Zero is kind of being positioned as like the big bad, or at least the muscle uh, for the bad guys in this film. Uh, Air Mac in the in the recent games was the one who took his arms, um, and like I said before, it was a conscious decision on his part. Air Mac is not in this film, nor is he teased in any way, so it's a deviation from the games. It's not actually that big of a deal, but for like hardcore fans, of which I I can't be counted among, it's like a well, I'm glad that he got his his beefy mechanical arms, but. That's not how he got his beefy mechanical arms. Like, that's weird. Uh, well, I think it makes sense to have uh, Sub-Zero, like, freeze smash his arms off. I'm like, that makes sense. Like, I, 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 I'll I, buy that. 
what doesn't make sense is how he gets his arms. So have we have we talked about how people are? Because I think that people getting their powers is is the next thread, and I think how Jax gets his arms might be one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I literally got more Mortal Kombat Annihilation vibes. I called this in my notes Animalities 2.0 because that's essentially what it is, where they're unlocking their little hidden potential and getting their their power, or whatever. I was just like, this is this is Animalities, where everybody has their little special superpower that they have to unlock. That's that's what I thought. Yeah, um, what you guys are both talking about is um, I've kind of been piddling about around this but i suppose now is the time to get into it is uh this the boldest instance of devoting a lot of storytelling energy to talking about things that nobody cares about nor they sh- nor should they and what that is is uh, something that they refer to as arcana um and this is the mo- in the internal logic of this film not not all of mortal kombat but this film specifically arcana is basically how they explain away how people have special abilities like superhuman abilities so when Liu kang is introduced to us he does throw a fireball at kano and he's shocked by it um, which tells us that that's not something that happens in in this world like that's that's a that's special that never happens before it doesn't usually it's pretty special yeah (laughs) (laughs) but what the reason i'm drawing attention to that is that you you could do it that way or you could just you know treat it as a mortal kombat movie and gloss over that just be like, oh yeah, people can throw fireballs. Don't don't question. Don't it. fucking worry about that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of shit. To, we got a lot of story that. to cover here. You man. worry don't, about don't a, get, You worry about other shit. Important. Don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, arcana is something that it's a word that's used like thirty fucking times within thirty fucking minutes in this movie. And basically, we're all gathered together here in the temple of Raiden to unlock our arcana. And one problem with this word arcana is that it's only ever said by. Liu Kang and Raiden, both of whom are actors with pretty heavy accents, so unless you had the subtitles on, I scarcely believe anyone actually <laughs> heard this correctly, because I was hearing Akana or Okana, yep. but if you actually look it up, it's Arkana. I wasn't watching. <laughs> Doesn't the, fucking matter. I wasn't really watching the movie at this point, so I did not pick up on that. <laughs> well, basically, that's their buzzword for unlocking your like hidden potential, and it's it's like a... I don't know, it's like a scratch and sniff card or something. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> it's like it's a box of chocolates because everybody gets their own individual arcana and it manifests in random fucking ways. So Liu Kang gets fire powers. Uh, Kung Lao makes his introduction here as well. Uh, his arcana is apparently telekinetic control of his hat, I guess. Yeah. It's not really explained. Uh, Kano gets a laser beam. Uh, Jax gets uh, grown-up arms. <laughs> Theirs so makes he- <laughs> makes no sense, like how it how it comes about. Like it, it just doesn't translate. Like Liu Kang, fireball. Okay, I'm fine with that. Telekinetic power over your hat. Okay, that's kind of in the same veil. Like I I understand that. Jack's Jack's arms grow. Like they just grow, but they're but they're metal. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I'm like, Kano's is just like, they piss him off and then he just gets a red eye. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're, not, you're not lying. <laughs> that, that's that's accurate. Um, but we get a sequence here where uh, Raiden basically does something similar to what Christopher Lambert did uh, at one point in the first film where he basically looks up 
up and down all the all the heroes of Earthrealm and shits on their face and says, "You suck. You suck. I don't even know you, but I'm sure you're trash." <laughs> <laughs> um, but around that time, uh, Shang Tsung just he just helps he pops himself in. to. He just walks in. Yeah, <laughs> he just shows up. It actually, really <laughs> threw me off. Like, what the fuck is he doing here? Like, he just walks in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, you you kind of. The, he looks so goofy in this outfit. It's his hair. Like he just looks so goofy. But you really need this is where you need that 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 slow reveal of the villain. Like I think it would have been kind of nice if you get him like come like come from the feet, look at his robes, and you get to his head. Because when he just shows up abruptly, it's kind of a lot to take in. It's it it's like catching a still of RuPaul's Drag Race out of context. You're like whoa, what was that? <laughs> Flow pan, man. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure when I was going to bring this up, but um, there's a movie that actually I almost put it on our watch list at some point, Kyle, mm. uh, because of a certain actor being in there. Um, that This film, at least the first half of it anyway, reminds me a lot of, um, and that is uh, Masters of the Universe, uh, uh, the Dolph Lundgren He-Man film. Uh, Frank Langella playing... He's the reason why I would have put it on the watch list, gotcha. because his portrayal of Skeletor is... Magnifico. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's special. Like he he swings for the fucking fences. Um, but the the way that film is constructed is very curious because He Man takes place in I think I think that the world is called like Eternia or something the car- the old cartoon from the eighties. Um, but the way they decided to execute the movie was they transported all of those characters to our world, <laughs> and then Dolph Lundgren in his in his speedo. And all of the other He-Man characters are just running around the streets of suburbia with Courtney Cox. That's, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And the opening of this movie with Sub-Zero chasing Cole in his SUV, it's like, this feels like Masters of the... And then, like, Reptile showing up in a shipping container to try to kill Kano and stuff. I was like, this feels very Masters of the Universe. And then all the loud costumes and stuff, like Hmm. the -the over-the-top costume. I was like, wow, this really feels like He-Man or or G.I. Joe. And the G.I. Joe thing is something that I actually mentioned on the MK Annihilation episode that more and more, like MK11 especially, reminds me a lot of the old G.I. Joe cartoon where it's like you have these these two factions going at it. They're both made up of ultra-colorful, like iconic characters. All they do is fight each other, and yet nobody ever dies. <laughs> and then, you know, every episode ends with cobra retreat or i'll get you next time gadget (laughs) it's it's very similar like on an aesthetic level in terms of like tone and whatnot um and this movie kind of carries that on although it doesn't really pull it off very successfully um but yeah shang sung just shows up with sub-zero uh we get introduced to gong lao and we see that he and Liu kang are our buddy buddy um, and then we get a really strange editing moment where Raiden puts up a barrier to prevent fighting from happening. So robbing the audience of, you know, fun. Enough! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, enough! It's it's very much that. But the weird edit I'm talking about is he slams his, his cane down, like his staff. And then we get this weird CGI insert shot of a digital dragon head, like, roaring up into the camera. And I figured it out. The reason that's there is because... The, the head of his staff is important to the plot later but they forgot to show us what it looked like so they they added like a cgi close-up of the head of the staff to tell the to like give the visual information to the viewer They're like 
that's what it looks like. So when you see it later in the movie, you won't be confused. It's it's totally pointless and really distracting. It came the fuck out of nowhere. I might have stopped watching the movie after the Goro fight, honestly, because that does not sound familiar at all. Oh well, this is before the Goro fight. Okay, but I'm sure you. I'm sure you had a lot of uh, googling to do or something, <laughs> or had to figure out what you're ordering on Postmates that night. <laughs> Probably, um, I might have been watching something on YouTube, honestly, <laughs> on my phone. But yeah, the next like, no joke, like half hour of the movie is training. Uh, it's they're in a training well, facility. Yeah, they're in a training facility, <laughs> but yeah, they're doing a lot of chit chat. <laughs> no, I was gonna ask you guys what you thought about the training midsection idea, because I think it was at this point I realized, oh, there's no tournament. This is just <laughs> what, <No>. what, <laughs> like, Well, so like, the training, oh, the we're, train- we're training. We've never trained before in a Mortal Kombat movie. Well, so I was like, I haven't seen it before. Uh, wh- what did you guys think? This isn't training. So at least in the in the first Mortal Kombat, they were training by going through opponents. Like you're practicing to get better. Like you're going, you're, yeah. running, through, you're running through these people, and that's how you're getting better. And this is just like they're just trying to unlock the, the their cheat. It's just like no 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 no. You're just and now they yeah yeah that you're just trying to unlock that. So it's not even training really. It's just we got to figure out how to unlock it. Yeah, the, part of the charm of that first movie is that. Like like you had mentioned about Liu Kang, like his story is basically him learning to trust himself and embrace his destiny. Where it's like the the last lesson that Raiden imparts to him is that like you guys have to do the fighting and mm-hmm. and the sooner you learn that the better you'll do. And like literally the last thing they say to each other is like he's like, Oh, we, the that's the rules of the tournament. This is how we have to carry things out. And Raiden's like Okay, go do it. <laughs> like yeah. I gave you I all I can do is show you the path. You you're the one who has to do it and that's basically how he wins. Nick, what's up? No. So my other question is, okay, so we've talked about the Arcana in the first movie, Sub-Zero and Scorpion, they have their little powers, but nobody else really does. Do you think that this works like that or would you rather prefer that our main characters, all the other guys are just basic people because in the first movie Kano didn't have any lasers Sonya spoiler she didn't get her ring shot uh Liu Kang I don't I he had like a little fire thing attack at the very end but that was pretty much it what, what did you guys think about that yeah Sonya barely made it out of that fight not getting sexually assaulted so <laughs> <laughs> that, that was her win for that about that yeah 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 no that, that was her win that day but yeah um so you're saying, like, would it be best if the main characters had no special powers whatsoever and they still had to fight other people without special powers and there's just a couple of people with special powers? Yeah. Okay. I mean, but then then you'd actually have to have fight fights in here, which they, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that, but then we'd actually have to have, like, a tournament, and we're not really into that. So, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't honestly know how I feel about it. I just don't like how much screen time is devoted to talking about it and like treating it as like, oh, in order to in order to win, you need to unlock your power. And if you don't unlock your power, you're worthless. It's like that that feels silly yeah. to me. It's like, wouldn't it be cool to have a moment like that where someone is repeatedly told you can't win unless you have your special power? And maybe they have to fight and they never get that special power, but they somehow pull out a win anyway. 
wouldn't that be kind of cool? Where it's like, wow, that guy really tried hard and it paid off. <laughs> it's, it's like, as opposed to like, oh, you unlocked your finishing move or, or your super combo gauge is full. Now you can win the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, to me, it's, it's, it's hackneyed and it comes across as very like straight out of like a really bad anime for like young boys, <laughs> like a shonen hey. anime. <laughs> yeah, I think there might they might have like cons- consider your audience like who's going to be watching this? People who grew up on Dragon Ball. <laughs> well, people who play the video game. What what I I would not I don't know what I haven't done the research, but I'm I'm going to guess that a lot of people that play video games smoke pot or let me reverse that. A lot of people who smoke pot play video games. So I think they probably felt like that overlap was like, we don't really need to spend a lot of time on the story, guys. Well, what like, they should have done was instead of Cole tossing Sonya a, a knife to fight Reptile, just like a Mountain Dew Code Red or something, <laughs> or a bag of Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> you just, no, because then you get him paying attention. Wait, you just go, the Doritos? Why would she do that? You sent to the movie. <laughs> or that's what Cole needs to take a swig of before he goes and fights Goro. <laughs> maybe, maybe this isn't actually... A, this isn't a movie that they wanted to make for us. It's just something they wanted us to pay for. Dude. <laughs> it's fucking deep. It's like people only do things because they get paid. <laughs> That's just really sad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, actually, when we got to the training part of this movie, it's where I started. Again, this is how you can tell I was disappointed because I was doing a lot of theorizing as I was watching the movie. I was doing a lot of like looking at things and like spinning things in different directions and like thinking, why would they do that? What could they do here? Which means I I was disengaged. That's not a good thing. But um, when we get to the training stuff, I started to think like, maybe this was meant to be like a TV show or something because the structure Ah. of the movie kind of feels like if you broke this movie into like three or thirds or, or, or fourths, maybe each of those individual chunks digest digested individually would would yeah. play out better this would actually i could actually see this because you have so many characters it's hard to fit them all into two hours and exactly. actually yeah that makes so much more sense yeah why not make it a make it a series yeah and a training episode in a season of television is expected like that that's not out of the ordinary like a flashback yeah. episode in any series is common like you can't There's, you can't do enough seasons of television without doing one of those at some point you don't even have to have HBO make it. Just follow HBO's template for any serious TV show. You can make this show just fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like something about the structure of the movie feels like three or four episodes of a television series rather than a movie, and that's not a strength when it comes to putting together a feature film. But, yeah, the training basically consists of Gong Lao and Liu Kang beating the piss out of people. Yeah. <laughs> and saying and, and repeatedly yelling, fucking figure it out. Get good, bruh. <laughs> Get good. Uh, <laughs> Nick, do you know about the sweep the leg portion? I, I knew about the sweep the leg portion uh, because Trevor told me about it. And I, I noticed it. Did, did you know what the, the sweep the leg is? I mean, I saw that part and I laughed, but I don't know if it was referring to anything specific. I was just like, oh, he did like a low kick three times in a row and I laughed. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, I was disappointed because I was like, oh, I wanted to see them fight, but I guess not. Well, I don't know how capable Joss Lawson is. And like I said, the way the film is structured, I don't know if Woody Lin is any better than him other than looking better. So I those sweeps were kind of slow they'll say that much but um the sweeps uh there's three in a row basically um Liu Kang and Kano 
settle down to do a training session and uh, Liu Kang flexes his muscles and all he does is three leg sweeps in a row. <laughs> and we do get a pretty solid comedic beat where Kano does a short hop and uh, Liu Kang kind of jukes him with the timing and then sweeps him anyway. And when he's in yeah. midair, he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he knows it's coming. But the reason why it was actually legit kind of funny, aside from the, you know, the timing and the line and stuff, was that I have very distinct memories of my brother beating the entirety of Mortal Kombat 1, except for Goro, with leg sweeps. Like he just, that's all he did. He just held down and kick and just whoop, whoop, whoop. Liu Kang wins. <laughs> Flawless victory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he picked out uh, like a weakness in the game. And I guess it was kind of, well, I just not well known at the time, but that's, it's actually a thing. Like that was actually a way to beat the game. Was yeah, just it, it's, an, it's an exploit. Yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things. If you noticed it, it's like, why would, why would I do anything else? It, it's still working. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all the training <laughs> sessions, like I said, are just the two Shaolin monks beating the piss out of everyone. Uh, no progress is made. There's a lot of frustration. This is where Liu Kang shares that story about him killing a, a child <laughs> trafficker. And <laughs> it's like, okay, there's a, uh, that's called oversharing, Liu Kang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, but, Alan. But um, we, have a, uh, we have a dinner sequence here. And I will say some of the stuff that was on the table did look fairly appetizing. And uh, we uh, we have yeah, a moment here where Kong Lao and uh, Liu Kang kind of team up on Kano, and wow. they uh, they verbally accost him, and this is very intentional. Basically, they piss him off to the point that he starts screaming and hollering at them, and this is where he uh, <laughs> discovers his arcana before everyone else in the form of, uh, like Kyle had described, a red eye. Yeah, um, it's noteworthy that he does have a scar on his face over that eye at this point, but. Um, in the games, Nick knows this. Uh, he has a cybernetic eye, like it's a metal plate. It was in the first film. Um, but yeah, in this, he gets a laser eye. Just the one eye, not both eyes. Uh, that would be too yeah. Superman-like, I guess. <laughs> Why did they need to develop his character? You could have just had the unexplained laser eye and had him be... Who Was Smoke the robot guy? Uh, who was that? There were the... several cyborgs. Um, Smoke was one of them, yeah. Well, who's the one that the, the the chatty one? I could not stand that one. Well, the chatty one. Oh, in this film, you mean? Yeah, in this film. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's not a cyborg. Oh, that's Cabal. Yeah, that's Cabal. That's Cabal. Okay, yeah, he was super annoying. Just <laughs> remove him and put Kano, and just have him be the witty, funny Kano. Like we don't need to hear. We don't need to see his arc because the next the next beat for Kano is like he gets turned to the bad side almost instantly. Yeah, almost instantly. <laughs> it um, takes no effort. I don't even know if they offered him anything good. They're just like, hey, do you want to be bad? Sure. That's okay. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is where the structure of the film comes crashing the fuck down. What what <laughs> what, what was yeah. what what little was there is just tossed right the fuck out the window. <laughs> uh, because what Kyle's talking about here takes place only over the course of like ten minutes. So Kano gets his laser eye. Uh, Cole kind of bitches out and uh, he's given a chance to leave the temple and he takes it like Raiden is so fed up with his bullshit that he's like here's a lightning bolt ride it home <laughs> like I'm so tired of your bitching <laughs> like like Raiden doing does this knowing full well that this man may be responsible for the fate of Earth Realm. he's like get the fuck out of my temple <laughs> um, but he does tell Cole that uh, he's related to Hanzo uh, from the prologue of the film 
Uh, so we already knew that because Cole was having these weird nightmares of Scorpion. Uh, so this is not really much of a reveal. Um, but so Cole is sent back to his family in wherever the fuck, whatever the fuck soundstage in Australia this was, because this is not an actual property. Um, but then we cut back to Outworld and we're introduced to a whole, like uh, several other new characters, just very unexpectedly, very suddenly, where Shang Tsung's back on his throne. So apparently all he does is barge into other people's houses and then go back to sitting on his throne. Again, he doesn't have a palace. He, he has a chair in the middle of nowhere. And, and the elements. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're introduced to Cabal here, uh, who visually is pretty much spot on from the games. Like He looks great. Um, but then also another character, Reiko, or Raiko, uh, portrayed by Nathan Jones, the big bald oh, wrestler yeah. man. Um, and as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, I know why he's here. <laughs> and it's really obvious because Raiko is like a very low tier Mortal Kombat character. And really the only reason you would introduce a low tier character into a Mortal Kombat film that is promising fatalities is to kill him off and not have to worry mm -hmm. about, you know, viewers being attached to him in any way. Dude, he doesn't have any fans is what I'm saying. That big monster could have played Goro. Like he's like an inch shorter than the actual Goro. Like why not just throw some, some, just some CGI, just make his torso a little longer. You could have just <laughs> made him Goro. Yeah, Jeez. actually, you told, like, if, if they had the time and the money to do an animatronic or something, yeah, he, he probably could do it. Uh, he's certainly large enough. He's gigantic. Yeah. He doesn't uh, have to go to the gym. He's fine. <laughs> we're also introduced to another expendable in the form of Nitara, who is the Bat Lady. Oh, she's hot. Yeah. Hmm. She's hot, but I'm pretty sure that actress was never on set with anyone else. I'm pretty yeah. sure she was filmed on a green screen like three months after they shot it, and then they just added her in post. <laughs> I, I, yeah, she has the best part of the whole movie, I would say. Uh, she pretty it, much does, yeah. Delicious, delicious death. Because like, <laughs> it's, it's so oh. out of nowhere. Like, I was, because nothing, nothing has happened in the movie except for Jack's arms have been smashed off. So, I mean, do you want to switch over into Kano flipping sides? Like, what's... Yeah. So, I mean, Kyle, literally the sequence of events is that. We're, yeah. we're introduced to Cabal. Next scene, Cabal telling Kano, hey, you want to get paid? Now, Be bad. Okay. <laughs> it's a real, it literally is just uh, regular or menthol. And he's, he's bad now. Yeah. No, he, he's, he's offered money and he's like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Uh, so the way, um, by the way, uh, the reason why all the outworld goons can't invade the temple is because Raiden put up a barrier. And the barrier is being maintained by his, his staff, which is why we had that weird CGI insert shot. Uh, so now we have a situation where Kano has been told by, by Cabal, hey, shape up and fly right. Go blow up that staff. And he goes and he blows up that staff with his eye beam. And then we have a situation where we're cutting back and forth between the temple and Cole's house. One of these places is far more oh. interesting than the other, <laughs> but um, yeah, Kano blows up the staff, the barrier goes down and uh, Shang Tsung and his goon squad show up in the training grounds because we couldn't afford to build the whole set, just that part of it. <laughs> so we'll do all the fighting in the same place where we were doing the training, AKA a sand pit in a yeah. cave which is visually really uninteresting, unlike the Paul W.S. Anderson film, which, like Kyle had said, they built some serious fucking sets for. Yeah, they did. 
Um, but this yeah. is where this is where the editing just gets nasty. It, yeah. it, it gets fucking ratty here. Where so <laughs> one of my least favorite things in editing for action movies is cutting back and forth between events that are happening in different places. Like there is a way to do it, but this is not the way. <laughs> we're doing we're doing really raggedy shit, like cutting on punches landed. So like we'll we'll have Goro land a punch on Cole, and then we'll cut to Reiko hitting Jax with a hammer. It's like okay, these events are happening like in totally different locations, and what you're doing is you're robbing any chance of these individual fights of having any sort of narrative thread to them or any sort of emotional weight because your brain can't keep track of all that. Like, and there's so many beats that are kept off screen that there's, there's just no way that you can piece together an interesting story from the visual information you're given. But yeah, uh, Goro has a really, really lame entrance. Um, Kyle and I are both pretty big on entrances for characters. And Kyle, do you even remember how Goro shows up in this film? Uh, is he uh, in the garage already? And yeah. then he just kind of pops out? Yeah, that's pretty dumb. You yeah. gotta, like, I th- he has, like, two entrances in the, uh, he has several entrances in the first Mortal Kombat movie. You see him in shadow first, and then you see him sitting down, and then later, when Art's about to fight him, like, you get to see his actual, like, size. He d- does, like, the, the knuckle crack. So he actually has a few entrances in that movie. This is just like, yeah, he's just going to pop out. And, and then as soon as you see him, you're just, I think I was done at this point. I'm like, yep, that's it. I'm, uh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Done with this movie. CGI Goro. That was, was it. Oh, you yep. too, Nick? Well, I mean, what else oh, is yeah. there to look forward what? to at that point? Like the only, like the last character I want to see you do is Goro. Well, <laughs> Goro. Scorpion was the one that you would hold out hope for, but I could hold I completely forgot that he was a part of the movie. Like, I, I did, mean, yeah. That was so long ago, I could totally see you just forgetting he was even a part of it. I was shocked, actually, at the end when he pops up. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 Wait, and then, then he realized, like, he hasn't been in the movie. There's been no Scorpion in the whole movie. A yeah. Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> no Scorpion. Yeah, way to deliver the goods. You know, Fucking make, make the fans happy. But... um. Yeah, we have a situation where Cole uh, has a Goro in his barn, and, <laughs> and uh, he, you know, As a, we all do. A, yeah, a, a broom is not good enough to shoo him away, so he does have to fist fight the Goro, and uh, we have we have that situation. But then we have the Raiden Temple situation where um, the Mexican e- standoff. Well, what's the- really goofy here is that um, later on the plan is okay they're they're working as a team they're teaming up on us that's why we can't beat them we need to find a way to isolate them so we can defeat them one-on-one in mortal combat yeah Uh, (laughs) but but in terms of choreography that didn't actually happen the way this sequence plays out they do break up into individual groups and they straight up lose there's no shenanigans like there's no pocket sand they just fucking lose (laughs) there's no steel (laughs) mankind doesn't come out with a steel chair or nothing they just have a one-on-one fight with these guys and they fucking eat shit (laughs) all right when we get in there everybody choose your opponent wisely make sure it's someone you know you can take and then absolutely nobody chooses the right person Yeah, yeah and and the pairings are really odd here so obviously it's a Hollywood movie. So the two ladies have to fight each other. Yeah. Um, it's that's standard practice. It's expected. I, 
I don't have any feelings about, but it's, it's expected, I guess. I, I would say that, you know, they'd be like, yeah, we have to have, we don't want to see a dude beating up a, like beating up a lady in a martial arts movie, except for Mortal Kombat is notorious for at least Sonya getting the shit beat out of her by Kano. Cause it happens in this movie too. Yeah. It does. <laughs> not as, it's not as brutal. It's not as brutal as the first movie. Actually, yeah, yeah the, the tone of it is different, but it's still weird. Um, he definitely gets some good hits on her. Yeah, He definitely, yeah, some closed-fisted blows landed on the face for sure. <laughs> Oof. Um, but yeah, the pairings are questionable here. So we decided that Liu Kang and Cabal had to, had to be paired up. That's a bad matchup. That's, That's a bad fucking matchup. Cabal like, sure. is like the least of the least of them as far as opponents go. I mean, he has he has an interesting look and he has some quips here and there, but in terms of their capabilities and shared history, they have nothing going for them. Like Lu Kang, Lu Kang, like I said, normally is positioned as like the hero of the whole franchise. Cabal is generally you know even in this movie he's like kano's buddy which would make you think he's sonya's enemy or jack's enemy he has in terms of like game connection cabal and Liu kang have no beef like they have nothing going on there <laughs> it's really strange and then melina and sonya face off and uh sonya gets her ass whipped she gets stabbed and then told that she she sucks because she doesn't have a birthmark yeah. <laughs> she's really upset with that she's like you're not even i can't even kill you because you're not even more killing. Yeah, and, and and Jax gets a, I mean, his ineffectual baby arms. Obviously, they're no good. <laughs> and uh, touch my strong hand, child. <laughs> and uh, Riko, oh my god. <laughs> and thought of that one a long time. That's a yeah. That's a Chris. What's his face, right? Christopher. Uh, uh, Whoopi from There's Something About Mary, right? Oh. <laughs> It's not McDonald. It's driving me insane. Well, we'll have to look it up. Uh... <laughs> Chris Elliott? Yes, thank you. I remembered. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, from Groundhog Day and everything. He He's was in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Cabin Boy. <laughs> he had his own movie at least once. <laughs> but um, yeah, Rayco with his big hammer, uh, he beats the shit out of Jackson, and his baby arms. And uh, <laughs> this leaves... Uh, Kong Lao and Nitara to have a one-on-one and uh, Shang Tsung is kind of presiding over things and seems like Shang Tsung is a uh, he's got some sort of relationship with Nitara uh, he definitely has like the hots for her and uh, Kyle <laughs> being as you were talking this up earlier do you want to walk us through uh, what you thought was one of the better parts of the movie yeah so uh, I do we do we suck off any do we suck anybody out right now no, this that guy would be the one who gets sucked off, but <laughs> but sucked. right now he's killing people, so he can't yeah, yeah. be sucked off. Okay, just yet. I, I couldn't remember if he was the one that gets sucked out. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so this this uh, this character has been on screen for I'm not even joking six seconds in this whole movie because she has three seconds, maybe two and a half seconds when you first see her, and then she flies in, and I guess she's gonna fight Kung Lao. And uh, Kung Lao, she goes down, swoops down to like attack him, and he summons his sword or he summons his hat, turns it into a uh, bench saw basically, and slices her in half. And but he ninja, he like three surfing ninjas rides her through this, like rides her through the hat, and 
nothing has happened in this movie so when this comes on the screen it's pretty crazy because you're like Whoa, i had to rewind i'm like did i just see somebody get cut in half out of nowhere it's pretty bitching it's a pretty nice little death and i don't think that's something that happens in the game either so no, it is. is that it, it is okay yeah yeah I yeah, yeah, yeah i couldn't remember if he slices people down the middle but yeah it's it's pretty great <laughs> yeah nick how did you feel about it <sighs> honestly <laughs> this part i mean that was just like okay yeah sure i've never been a huge fan of kung lao so i was like yeah sure go ahead and give it to him because he doesn't have a fucking gun you piece of shit <laughs> uh, no i guess uh, uh nick nick is a a, a zone player in a in no, no, no. <laughs> in mkx i was here in black and this new one um it's it's different mk 11 is like a night and day difference from mkx See, it's but, bullshit um, because i was whipping his ass with uh with Liu kang and he's like okay fine oh you want to really go you want to really go and he's like okay i'm gonna get aaron black and then he just starts shooting me <laughs> as if that's even remotely the same fucking thing Jeez. hey you use what your enemy can't deal with but anyways <laughs> a gun <laughs> <laughs> no it was okay i was like oh yeah i know that's I, i've done that in the game so yeah that's cool and, and all but honestly this whole part i was distracted by the goro scene I, I i have more issues with that than anything else yeah the Liu kang and cabal fight it, it's like you barely even saw anything and i was like okay that's when i realized Liu kang is not a part of this movie he, he he's just like uh nothing he's an afterthought he really is like it's a weird movie where I cared more about Kano than Raiden. And I'm like, Raiden is a dick in this movie. He is barely, he, he's in it, but barely. And he doesn't do anything, I feel like, to help anybody. Um, but yeah, I was, I think I was just more distracted with Goro at, at, at this part. I th- I, I'm going to concur with you. I think Goro was really pissing me off too. So like once I saw mm-hmm. him stomping around, I'm like, yeah, I don't care what's happening now. Like that's it. Yeah, Goro is featured in like one second of the trailers for this movie. That it sounds like Kyle probably didn't yeah. see. And I as soon as that. I saw that one shot of him, I was like, oh no, Kyle's oh, gonna be pissed. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, Nitara, like I said, she and and Raiko. I'm pretty sure the reason why those characters were added to this film was strictly so they could be fatalitied without any of the fan yeah. base being upset because. I seriously doubt anyone cares about Nitara. Nick, have you even played a game that had her in it? I never even heard of either of those two. When I saw Hammer Guy, at first I thought, wait, is this a shitty renditioning of Shao Kahn? And I was like, oh, wait, no, no, we're okay. And then uh, then I saw the the Batgirl, and I was like, oh, so they're just fodder. They're going to get killed. No yeah. problem. Yeah, it, it's pretty obvious, even to someone who's not familiar with the characters. And Nitara was only mm-hmm. in like the PS2 era of the games, which was definitely the era where I, I wouldn't touch the fucking franchise with a 10-foot pole. And uh, Raiko was introduced in Mortal Kombat 4, which I did play, and nobody really cared much for it. Um, actually, it's kind of funny that you said he, he was like a lame Shao Kahn, because I'm actually fairly certain that is his character he's like a shao Kahn fanatic like he's an imitator basically he's a fan oh, what of a Sh- fucking loser <laughs> yeah he's like a fan <laughs> of shao Kahn. <laughs> yeah but um yeah she gets sliced down the middle by uh gong lao and i did like that he declared flawless victory because actually that, uh, that it, was flawless yeah no i mean honestly it, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was yeah 
I seem to remember an instance in uh, the first Mortal Kombat movie where they used that statement incorrectly. Yeah. It's like, no, flawless victory means you didn't get touched. Like that, mm-hmm. that was a flawless victory. <laughs> I think it was when Liu Kang fought uh, the very first, the lion Oh, the dreadlock, the, the lion yeah. man. <laughs> the lion man. <laughs> yeah, look it um, up, folks. That man roars like a lion. <laughs> yeah, pretty great. <laughs> yeah, he did say it there. It was Shang Tsung said it. And no, no, that was not flawless. He took, he took several hits in that. He flight. got hit a few times. Yeah. Um, but we cut away from that, and Cole somehow has not been torn in half by Goro. It's um, amazing that he's lasted this long. Yeah. yeah. And uh, his family is put in danger, uh, and Goro's like smashing up the family car, the family station wagon, and he's about to kill the <laughs> wife. And then Cole finally summons his arcana, which comes in the form of a wristband oh, no. that his daughter made for him. <laughs> and it turns into like a series of like copper coils that make like a suit of armor around his it, upper torso. I was thinking wow. of Brazil. I was thinking of the dream. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the the dream sequences of uh, Brazil. Like, that's his armor. Actually, yeah. Uh, uh, folks at home, if you don't know what Kyle's talking about, look it up or watch the movie. Brazil. Watch the movie. Good. Yeah, yeah, just watch the fucking movie. Excellent um, Terry Gilliam film. But yeah, it does look kind of like that, but um, it's it's a choice. Um, it, it actually is kind of... A, <laughs> It is actually kind of consistent with the character. It's almost like a joke because I think we've all said he's basically been a punching bag up till this point in the film. So I guess it's only fitting that his special power is just able to take more beatings. (laughs) It's it's like Um, Randy Couture. Well, sadly, it's, it's it's basically a lame Black Panther suit. Like that's, yeah, that's a sad comparison to make because it comes across as a lame imitation because uh, the, the special effects like with the glowing bits on him where he gets hit seem to signify that like he absorbs kinetic energy or something and he could channel it into strength. Um, and then we get a, a call back to the throw your uppercut. Um, and he, he doesn't do a shoulder. You can because we don't do shoulder. You in Mortal Kombat, uh, but he, he lays the smack down on Goro and then he summons a couple of tonfas, which if you don't know what those are, they're nightsticks, basically Jap- like Okinawan nightsticks. One of them has a blade on it, and he uh, he kills the fuck out of Goro like in five seconds. This would be like me trying to uppercut Blake Griffin. Like it's not gonna happen. The dude is a fucking uh, like ten feet taller than me. How is he gonna do an uppercut on this guy? Yeah. By the He's... time your your arm gets up there, all the strength is gone from it. <laughs> yeah. No. You'll touch him, but I don't think you're gonna hurt him. Yeah, no, I'm not even going to... He's not even going to bite his lip. <laughs> I guess this is not going to do anything. But yeah, he slices <laughs> off one of Goro's... Oh, before that, uh, he does do some MMA shit to Goro, which was interesting. Impossible? Well, impossible for sure. Um, he, he does break one of his arms, and he like grabs him by one of the legs and takes him down. And then we get a weird camera angle that felt like maybe more was intended to be done with it, but then we cut away from it. So it's like, okay, that was entirely pointless. Good job, folks. Um, Goro. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately, more like uh, Boro. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, uh, Goro meets his end um, by being sliced to ribbons, basically by these tonfas. Um, he gets eviscerated. The he, yeah, he he gets a, a hand sliced off, and then the finishing blow is uh, tonfa through the eyeball and out the back of his nice. head, and he collapses in a heap. And uh, Cole is summoned back to the training grounds. Uh, so he ditches his family again. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, then, nobody else pops through that little portal. 
Uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, Never mind. I'm good now. <laughs> and then we have a situation where he he ports in, and Raiden is trying to like rescue all the Earthrealm people uh, from their respective conflicts, and somehow through some shenanigans, uh, Kong Lao. Uh, falls into harm's way in the form of Shang Tsung being like, fuck this shit. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know what hasn't happened in this Mortal Kombat movie yet? No one's soul has become mine. <laughs> he doesn't defeat Kung Lao. He's just doing what the Sanderson sisters do in uh, Hocus Pocus. They give the kid the potion and they're just like, just trying to suck it out of him. Yeah, like Is the monsters in uh, Deep Rising, he drinks him. <laughs> yes, yes, drinking him. Yeah, he drinks him. Uh, so he he holds him up like he's going to choke slam him. Doesn't quite do the slam part, but he does indeed drink his green soul. It's actually kind of cool looking. And uh, Liu Kang, to his credit, does sell the hell out of the of, you know the iconic. No, honestly, I wish they just would have killed Liu Kang over Kung Lao. Like, yeah, honestly, I, I was kind of bummed when uh when Kung Lao ate shit here because I was like 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 Nick had said up top, it's like you know what. I could have used more of him, actually, but I guess the movie's not interested in giving me more of that anymore. No. Um, it's funny, this whole skirmish sequence made me think of uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen no. that movie. Um, but it's the it's directed by, I think, Stephen Summers. Stephen Summers. Yeah, the, the mummy guy. And Brendan Fraser does have what? a small role in it. Dude, I actually saw his small role. It's literally 30 seconds of the whole film. It's not a reason to watch the movie. It's insane how little he is in it. Yeah, it's really I was happy that he brought Arnold Vosloo with him, though. That was nice. Um, But yeah, it reminded me very much of that because it's a situation where we're setting up all the final battles in the middle of the movie. And then all the heroes kind of get their asses handed to them. So we get build up to like, oh, at the end of the movie, they're going to square off again. And then they'll win this time. Um, Structurally, that makes sense for any movie, honestly. What's really weird here, though, is that we get that exact same situation. Only those two scenes happen literally 10 minutes apart. Yeah. So we got our asses beat 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. I can't help but think of Debo from the dark Knight Every time I, every time I hear, every time I hear anyone say 10 minutes, 10 minutes ago, ago. do what you should have did. Where's the final, where's the final fight? I can't even remember the end of this movie. (sighs) So we take, we take, we like run into a plot cul-de-sac here. And this actually reeked of like a (laughs) script, like some script pages missing or a lack of budget or something because Raiden transports everyone to a white void. Yeah, he does. I forgot. Oh yeah. I (laughs) I forgot. Space between realms. Yeah. But this is so, this is so hackneyed and kind of pathetic from a storytelling standpoint. Cause it's like, you really couldn't have thought of a, a better, more interesting way to have this particular scene. Like where where all the heroes get together, it's supposed to be like the all is lost moment, but then they combine it with the Avengers scene where they all come together, like coalesce as a team. So it's like we're just like smashing all the important story beats that should have been playing out over all that nothing that you were describing earlier, and we're cramming it into the last twenty minutes of the movie. Um, but yeah, we're literally in a white void where everybody's like, "Man, I'm super bummed that Kung Lao died. What do we do now?" And then Cole. Cole, who has done nothing in this film, 
It says, I know what to do. We need to isolate everyone because they've been using teamwork and we're not a team yet, but now I think we're a team so we can beat them with the power of friendship. (laughs) Oh my God. Is this guy a fucking bummer or what? See, if Kano was still on the side of good, that's what he would say in this scene. Yeah. (laughs) Will you shut up already? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's actually part of the problem with how Kano is represented in this film is that He's the most entertaining and charming character in the whole movie, but he's Kano. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Kano's not oh, a good yeah. person. And anybody who has any, like even a passing familiarity with the games knows Kano's not your friend. Like he's, he's not a good guy. And yet he's the one I have the most attachment to in this film. So by the time we get to the, the final scenes, it's like, I, I got no dog in this race, man. Like my favorite guy is the guy who's the movie is trying to tell me I'm not supposed to like him anymore, but he's quipping up until his death. And yeah, it's still kind of fun. He's the kind of guy you see, you see sitting in a bar and you walk in and you're like, we're going to a different bar. Why? Cause some shit's going to pop off and that guy's got a gun. Uh, we're not staying here. He's got a knife and he is going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a red eye for Christ's sake. Like what, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, but like I said, we have this this scene in the White Void where Cole, again, of all people, gives everyone a pep talk. Uh, Raiden gives him uh, Scorpion's spear and says, hey, uh, maybe use this. That's all. <laughs> but Cole, Cole says, hey, Raiden, you have the power to teleport anyone in the world, anywhere in the world. Put, teleport us to CGI mock-ups of famous Mortal Kombat landmarks so we can all have fights. And then we'll have all the important fights in the movie jammed into the last 20 minutes of this movie. So everybody gets paired up again. About that. So we have rematches to fights that were staged 10, 10 minutes ago. And, and Jax has grown grown up arms now. So his, his arcana, his spirit powers built him new cybernetic arms, new better cybernetic arms. Uh, so he and Raiko fight on the iconic pit from the Mortal Kombat games. You know, the, the pit where there's spikes at the bottom? Nobody falls on those spikes, by the way. <laughs> and uh, long story short, Jax easily defeats him. No struggle whatsoever. And uh, he does his hand clap fatality, smashes his head in. Kyle, what would you think of this one? I don't remember it. Not a good sign. Um, it looks pretty good. <laughs> like I've turned... I, I turned off, and then I remember the end scene with the icy gym. That's all I've got so far. Okay. Well, I I will say this much: the the CGI gore in this film is of very high quality. I can't I can't knock it for that. I there mean, was I, one that looked kind of silly. I can't. I think it was like the last one looked kind of silly. Uh, when it happens, it's kind of okay. I did like like the the last shot when we see through them. That was kind of neat. That might have been the silly one. Okay. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're cutting. This is this is where that style of editing really started to piss me off. Is where we're we're cutting back and forth between all these fights, which are su- supposed to be all interesting in their own right, and yet I I cannot be bothered to care about any of it except for maybe Sonya and Kano, just because Kano's kind of funny and um, it's kind of like a Jason Bourne fight in her trailer. So the venue that she picked was her trailer because I guess that's her home terror, like her 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 home venue or whatever. So yeah, she with the least amount Gary. of range of motion. Uh, Gary, Indiana. Yeah, the least amount of range of motion. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna fight in a trailer. Yeah, you can get some good kicks in there. Yeah, so she and Kano have a 
like a hardcore match in it's her trailer. It's a scrap. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much a, a boiler room brawl. Uh, if we're talking WWF terms, uh, every foreign object in the room is utilized at some point, uh, including a toilet. Um, and one thing that I haven't expressed about this film is that the soundtrack is done by Benjamin Wallfish, who uh, primarily does horror movie scores. He did a, he did an okay job with that uh, those It movies recently. Um, he did a wonderful job with A Cure for Wellness. It's one of my favorite scores in the past decade or so. Um, but he has this like epic score for this film that really doesn't suit the tone very well. Like when you're playing epic orchestral like heroic tunes over a a Australian man having his head bashed into a toilet. There, there's a little bit of a disconnect going on. Yeah. <laughs> These things do not jive. Um, but long story short, he's he's throwing eye lasers all over the place, and she kills him by jamming a a uh, lawn gnome, like a garden gnome, into his into his eyeball, um, which is a callback to him uh, hawking a loogie onto said uh, garden gnome earlier in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was disrespectful to the gnome, and then he met his fate via the gnome. And so now that she's killed him, she steals his birthmark, so now she automatically gets her superpowers. No training required. Cool. Girl power. All for it. (laughs) And we're frequently cutting back to Cabal and Cole and uh, uh, Melina. No, it's uh, Cabal and Liu Kang and Melina and Cole fighting in some oil pit. I presumably in Outworld. I have no fucking clue. I don't recognize this as a background from the games. Um, Cabal gets axed via Liu Kang doing his bicycle kick. It doesn't look any better than it did in the first Mortal Kombat movie from 1995. Not a good sign when we've made many advances in special effects technology since then. Um, And then he does a fatality in the form of summoning a fire dragon, which I think is his fatal blow in MK11 now. It's not a fatality, but they treat it as one, and he sets Cabal on fire and uh, says, hey, that was for Kung Lao. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Cole and Melina are just kind (laughs) of having fisticuffs. Melina opens her mouth all the way open, which is not something she's done in this movie up to this point, but she, like, tears her flesh to do so. Doesn't look fun. Um, So Melina, one of her notable characteristics in in her portrayal in the games uh, is that she has she's a Tarkatan, so she has Baraka mouth, basically. Um, and she's like grappling with Cole and then Sonya bamfs in out of fucking nowhere because I guess Raiden, she said, hey Raiden, bamf me in there. And then she uses uh, her arcana, which I guess manifests in the form of uh, pink ring lasers from her forearms. <laughs> How oddly specific. <laughs> and uh, that was the little parting gift from Kano, by the way. And uh, she shoots Melina through the torso and uh, we, we get a juicy CGI shot of a uh, like a, a hole shot through Melina's torso and we see her spine through the hole. Um, I think this was the goofy one that you were alluding to, right, Kyle? Probably. Yeah, and this is what I was talking about um, with Melina being done dirty. It's because Raiko and Natara, I don't think anybody on the planet gives two shits about those two characters, except maybe people who jerk off to Natara porn. Um, in the case of Melina, like I said, she's a beloved part of the franchise i think that that person would care yes that person <laughs> that one person cares very much so person. i'm sure they bought postage and mailed a physical letter <laughs> to, to warner brothers what the fuck <laughs> how do you do that to my queen my queen <laughs> my bat-winged queen <laughs> but in the case of melina she's been in the franchise since mk2 
And as I said earlier, she was she's popular enough to have had people like the fans demand her to return to the franchise for MK11. And yet she is axed in this film, just like just like an ordinary goon. She's given like two lines of dialogue. And what's more, like she has so much connection to the story in the games. Like she like I'm curious if Kitana's gonna be in the sequel because Melina's supposed to be like a twin to her. So it makes me wonder if they put Kitana in there, are they going to go to the trouble to hire the same actress? I don't know. And general and in general, Melina is associated with Shao Kahn, who is not in this film. Uh, there's a lot of story there. In fact, the relationship between those three characters is very reminiscent of Thanos and Nebula and uh, what's her face, Gamora from uh, the Marvel Gamora, series. Yeah. yeah, where its two daughters were kind of vying for the affection of their you know totalitarian father, and yet she's just acts like any other character. And it's like, oh wow the disrespect <laughs> it's like we didn't even try to make a character out of her and the reason why I'm, I'm going on and on and on about this is that they so easily could have just gotten another expendable character that nobody gives two shits about and put it put that character in that role to be killed um but now that she's dead we can finally have the main event in the form of uh scorpion and sub-zero uh so basically uh cole <laughs> Cole's family is abducted by Sub-Zero. And right off the bat, I thought of this as, I don't know if that seems very Sub-Zero-like. I was like, everything about him suggests he would have just killed them. I thought they were dead. I, I legit thought that they were dead at this point. I was like, oh, I guess he killed them because that's what he does. I guess, nope. <laughs> no, he, he merely abducts them. And then the venue of choice for the, the final battle is, it, the set's okay, like the, the ice palace thing they have going here. But they staged the fight in the same gym that Cole fought in earlier. It's like, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was very much a why moment. Like, it, it looks okay, but the whole time, I'm just like, why here? Like, is there some emotional connection or importance to this place? Not really. Um, nope. But yeah, Cole teleports in to fight Sub-Zero, and they, they scrap for like 10, 20 seconds uh, before... Cole takes out the spear that was given to him by Raiden and uh, he ends up grappling with Sub-Zero and like shedding some of his own blood on it, uh, which leads to Sub uh, Scorpion being summoned. And uh, he comes in from behind, he throws the spear through uh, Sub-Zero's bicep. Yikes, that would really do a lot to you. And uh, we get the iconic get over here. Um, personally, I did like that uh, they didn't use the, the audio from the trailers. They used a different take of the line, and I think it sounds a lot better in the finished film. Um, but yeah, Scorpion shows up. Uh, his armor is a little bulky, if you ask me. He's kind of thick around the midsection. <laughs> it's like, like It looks like he's having a little bit of trouble moving around and stuff. Um, but yeah, the best fighting in the movie happens in the sequence between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, and Kyle's oh, busting out God. laughing. I don't know why. I'm, I'm picturing Steven Seagal in this outfit, like present-day Steven Seagal, with his fat ass, like, like him trying to move around with all that stuff on. Heavy <laughs> breathing. Soggy. Yeah, he's a little soggy in the midsection. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! The subtitles for all oh. those for all those scenes would just say "heavy breathing" in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I will give credit where credit is due. Uh, the choreography and the camera work and the editing are elevated. It's still not amazing, but it's yeah. it's better than everything else in the film. And Joe Taslim has 
some legitimate moves here. Um, it's kind of funny that so much of his choreography involves a sword, though, because uh, apparently he only learned how to use a sword like really recently. Like this is yeah. not something he was trained in as a martial artist. He learned it for his movie career. Yeah, it's kind of sucks now that I think about it. This isn't even like a fight fight. This is a sword fight because it's just uh, Sub-Zero with his ice sword and then uh, Scorpion with his sword. It's not yeah. even like a fist fight. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. In in a in a more martial arts focused film, in a better film, what you would do is you would have the fight play out in stages where it starts out hands, maybe advances to swords, and then you escalate. You move things forward in stages. It's like a song. It has it has movements to it. But this it's kind of rushed. Very rushed, in fact. It's v- rushed is the best way to describe it, yes. And we do get some cool moves here from Sub-Zero, um, one that was featured heavily in the trailers. Um, Nick, this kind of felt like a, a fatal blow where he, he slices Scorpion, he draws blood from him, and he like, crystallizes it, uses it as like a knife, and then he makes an ice wall and throws, it, throws him through it. Yeah, the ice wall itself. I know you have to, I think you have to do a certain amount of ice walls before you can get the brutality. So, like, there's matches I've seen in tournaments where people will just do ice wall, ice wall, ice wall, ice wall, and then at the very end, they'll get the brutality for it. So, or the critical hit or whatever it's called. I can't remember. It's crushing blow. Crushing blow. So, yeah, I, I saw that coming. And it, it, honestly, I was like, it's cool that they did it, but he took a really long time to summon that stupid ice wall where he's just sitting there like, okay, ice wall is good now throw him <laughs> and i was like i just don't know if that's like feasible <laughs> yeah actually i agree wholeheartedly i'm really glad you brought that up because that was my reaction i was like the timing of that sequence like right idea yeah. in terms of choreography and execution it looks good but my god like that 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 ghost zombie ninja over there he's not going to wait on you <laughs> like you got you got to do it quick <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah, he's in he's in the dizzy pose. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a little, that part of it is very slow. It feels like maybe the the filmmakers didn't have confidence in their audience to be able to like figure out what's happening. Uh, much like yeah. the, the staff thing with Raiden, where it's like, oh, they they won't be able to fucking figure out what the head of the staff looked like. It's like we need to add an extra computer generated animation there to show them. No one gives a shit about the staff, dude. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Seriously, nobody does. But nobody. No. They put it in the movie. I, I didn't tell them to do it. They did it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that bit was neat. It was a nice nod to some of the moves straight from the game. Um, but one thing that's like curiously absent from this movie is like I know they they haven't really done them in MK11, but X-ray moves. Like, oh yeah, it would be such a simple way to add extra flourish to some of the fight choreography. It's to just have like, I don't know, it doesn't even have to be like an educated blow. Just like someone punches someone straight in the chest and then zoom into CGI rib cage caving in and then do the thing with the speed ramping and the sound where it goes all Like it would be so simple to just add some flavor and some life to some of the fight choreography. But they didn't bother to do that. And there's so many fucking special moves that they just didn't bother to add. Like Sub-Zero never does his fucking slide. It's like he's had the slide in every game. And Jax, no earthquake punch. And, and, and Liu Kang, I mean, he did his fireball and his bicycle kick, but there's just a lot that they could have done that if you're going to bother to have all this fucking fan service. I mean, there's even a part where there's, there's graffiti on the wall during the Jax and Sub-Zero fight where 
uh, down forward LP is in the background, aka the, the ice ball motion. So clearly they were trying to appease the fans, but so much wasted energy. Like, like you're, you're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> um, but yeah, another disappointing part of the final battle here is that, that Cole and Scorpion team up on Sub-Zero and kind of just lay waste to him. But the most egregious part of the editing here is that we're constantly cutting back to, to Cole trying to punch the ice off of his family. <laughs> it's like, I said this up top. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I just cannot be bothered to care about this character and especially his family. Like, collateral damage <laughs> yeah. is not something anyone playing a fighting game ever, ever gives two shits about. No. Like, in Mortal Kombat 11, they even have a joke where, like, you know how you, there's interactables on all the stages? Where some of those interactables that you can throw at people come in the form of other people. <laughs> like, well, like in the Tarkatan village, you can grab a villager and throw them at your opponent. <laughs> I'd say 90, 98% of movies that use the family as collateral, like we know what's going to happen. We know exactly what's going to happen. That family's going to be fine. It means absolutely nothing except for Sicario. Uh, you can see Sicario, <laughs> by the way. Holy shit, does it matter in that movie? Um, <laughs> but yeah like it's just it's we don't need it because we know what's gonna happen she's gonna be fine because the kids could be fine yeah and it's it's just reaching in the wrong direction it's not what i need in my mortal combat movie but vengeance uh, we, we want the fucking shit heel that we're supposed to get vengeance against to keep getting away like that that's the problem like fuck he keeps getting away we want him to get got yeah we want him to get got <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Sub-Zero uh, meets his end via the combined efforts of Scorpion and Cole, who I guess helps. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I really did like some of the shots of Joe Taslim uh, showing vulnerability. Like when he's discarding his armor, he has this awesome shot where he's got like mucus and blood coming out of his mouth. It's like, that looks like that's some good fucking acting that's some good physical acting there but um scorpion breeds fire on him you know doing one of his iconic fatalities and uh he does crumble over in a heap and uh shang Tsung immediately bamfs in to say i'll get you next time gadget raiden says piss off <laughs> and then uh we have a happy ending where cole's like i know what i need to do i need to spend my life looking for people with birthmarks and then we get a tease for uh johnny cage not appearing in this film my first thought when I saw this was like, man, I want to watch The Dark Knight now because it's the it's the same. Do you remember watching Batman Begins and like, this is fine. Like, I, I'm not a big Scarecrow fan. Like, this is or Ra's al Ghul. Like, I'm not a big fan. But at the end of it, you get that Joker card. You're like, okay, now we're talking. Uh, Joker sounds like a fun villain. The end of this, it's like, oh, Johnny Cage. Go, we have to get that guy from Hollywood, whatever his name is. Who do you think they're gonna cast as Johnny Cage? Because I I could. I would put money down. There will be a second one of these. Oh yeah. No, this only costs $50 million and I'm pretty sure it's made that back already. I think it's already made it back. There's definitely going to be a second one. Yeah. Um, what, what? Nobody. Is it going to be nobody or it's got to be somebody? Uh, it sounds like people on the internet want Ryan Reynolds. Um, oh, that's an okay. Hey. That's an okay choice. My brother and I were going back and forth about this and uh I, all the all the choices we were making pointed towards uh, a different take on the character, like an an old washed up Johnny Cage, which Ryan Reynolds would probably have to be as well because he's not young anymore. He's, yeah, are you gonna say Scott Atkins? Of course, of yeah. course, he's the front runner. He's fucking Scott yeah. Atkins. Only problem yeah. is that 
if if the fighting in this movie is any you know representation of what we'd get in a sequel he would dance circles around anyone else well i think that would be a plus is if you actually got him because he actually knows what he's doing and like you know what i can show you a thing or two about how to choreograph these scenes you know and this is totally like this is marketed as a big movie but this is a totally scott atkins level kind of movie (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately i'm that's, not i'm, that's very I'm not trying to hurt you i'm not trying to be mean i'm just saying what i'm talking about cast wise like he, this is a cast that he would work with yeah kyle just gave me a little like backhand to the nuts there i wasn't i wasn't <laughs> trying to be mean but you are aware i am aware of his star power and saying his star power would air fit quotes this there aus- you know? this australian ensemble <laughs> um yeah, actually, I, I'm really glad you brought up Batman Begins uh, because it's the same studio and oh. obviously it worked before. You know, yeah. why not ape the same format? I mean, I even pointed earlier to parts of this reminding me of like the Avengers or something. So clearly there's a playbook at work, like somebody's referencing something in terms of structuring the rollout of these products. But um, what what the advancement between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight showed us was that, you know, Warner Brothers in particular does seem to learn from mistakes every once in a while. Um, So it stands to reason that maybe if they made a sequel to this, they would execute things differently. Much like what I'm getting at here is Batman Begins is a perfect example because one of the strongest criticisms of the action in that film was that you couldn't fucking see it because the editing was too choppy and the angles were poor. So what do we get in the dark night? We get like, thigh thigh to head shots of just batman clearing like wrecking house and there's no sloppy editing the framing is crystal clear so clearly somebody took notes and improved so maybe they'll do better especially if there's a guarantee of them making more money this time yeah but i'll watch the i'm gonna watch the second one just because it's a mortal Kombat movie but johnny cage is how you're gonna get me with the, the second one i don't know how you guys are like that's not I'll watch it, but that's not going to make me want to watch it more. Well, maybe there'll be a tournament this time, Kyle. Maybe. I mean, that's the setup for this anyway, is that uh, Cole is on a mission to help Liu Kang and Raiden recruit all the other people with birthmarks, presumably in preparation for the tournament. Um, And of course, one would expect Shao Kahn to be involved somehow. What if it's Tom Cruise? (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they can't afford him but that would be pretty i imagine like a less grossman uh but like with tom cruise being like an over-the-top action star like 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 a pain in the ass kind of actor like I, oh man that'd actually be a lot of fun i mean tom cruise would be a nightmare on the set though he'd be like having all the stunt people like hit him for real he'd be like, hit me <laughs> he, would walk, he would walk in he would like can I see all the stunt people, please? Everybody just line up in a row. You all can go home because I am going to do all the stunts in this movie. Okay. Yeah. He's going to put on a, a white Raiden wig and jump through boxes. He's going <laughs> to put on Kitana spandex and jump Tom. out a window. <laughs> Tom, I know you want to do the Jack scenes. I know you want to do the Jack scenes, but we can't let you do the jacks it's like what you're suggesting is uh we can't do it it, it, it it's frowned upon is what we're getting at <laughs> actually actually tom it's not even frowned upon you can't do it 
no, they can't afford him. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he works for Paramount. But I mean, that would be amazing, though. Tom Cruise is Johnny Cage. But uh, another one, if you were to do the uh, old washed up Johnny Cage, fucking Van Damme. I mean, he was supposed ah. to be the character in the oh, game. Wow, yeah. The entire game was made for him with Ooh, and- uh, under the assumption that he would play Johnny Cage. Only problem was he said no. So they more, made the game anyway. <laughs> more so than Scott Atkins, this is definitely JCV's wheelhouse now. Like, this is definitely a movie that he could do now. Oh, it would be kind of cool because, I mean, they didn't show what he looks like on the poster. We don't know what year that film was from, although maybe it said coming next summer or something. But it would be kind of cool to have Cole roll up and be like, we got to find our new- next champion. It's some weird fucking Belgian guy that's like 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would be like you go to like go to get the older guy but he's just like constantly doing yoga now it's just like he won't stop fucking doing yoga that's all he does he just won't get out he's just in it all the fucking time six hours a day no if they're gonna keep up with the arcana thing that's how he finds his arcana he just does the splits and meditates for days on end and he's like i know what i have to do i need to throw i need to throw green (laughs) balls from my hands (laughs) he has no edge anymore give him some fucking cocaine like, turn him back on <laughs> and that that's when you queue up the mortal Kombat theme and then you know insert jcvd stunt double just flipping and spinning off just doing walls. no just it's just fucking flip, 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 <laughs> just flip nothing flip. but flips yeah actually I'm for it before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask, did either of you listen to the rendition of the theme song at the end of the movie? I could not turn it off fast enough. I figured. Yeah. How about yeah. you, Nick? You know, I, I listened to it a little bit, and I was like, this isn't good. So I was like, I know what they're trying to do. I was like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I doesn't don't sound like great. It. <laughs> so I'm not going to stick around, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm... I'm you know, in my thirties, but I felt old and unentertained by, by this rendition of it. It's like a club mix and it has yeah. no, it has no crescendo. It actually like fart farts. It farts into the wind at the end. <laughs> that, that first Mortal Cop, like, like it or hate it, it's abrasive and it will not let you go. Like it, you are forced to reckon with it. It's pretty incredible. Oh, it, it's a mind worm. Like it yeah. just digs in and it, it makes itself at home inside your brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's it's so iconic. It, it's it's the best way to open a movie. <laughs> it's like the it's like the first cup of coffee after you haven't had coffee in two weeks. You say, like, Oh, I forgot about this. Huh. Oh Kyle, I, I need to I need to try like waking my girlfriend up with it sometime. <laughs> like just sneak sneak out of bed and just queue up the movie <laughs> trevor i've been in a relationship for what seven years now i wouldn't even do that to my partner <laughs> okay duly noted but yeah yeah uh this rendition of it's it's flaccid and it it doesn't yeah. hit it doesn't hit that peak like it doesn't have that energy that we all love and um like i said benjamin wallfish did the score for the movie and he does uh borrow parts of the song like some of the melodies for the score so the mortal Kombat theme is ever present in the film it's just not the one we want and it it actually right. came across as a little bit obnoxious where i was like when are we gonna get to the fireworks factory <laughs> and we never fucking do but um yeah i think that's about all that can be said and then some 
about a uh, Mortal Kombat 2021 directed by Simon McCoyd. Um, thanks again for joining us, Nick. Really appreciate it. Always glad to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What he said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> With that being said, um, folks at home, if you would like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, um, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter, at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those, and I'll get back to you in a jiffy. And uh, the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod, so fucking Google it. And that being said... Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yep. Oh, man. We are so going to hit three hours. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>